Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, March the 30th, 2022, and this is episode 3064 of the Survival Podcast, and it might just create a disturbance in the force. A disturbance in the permaculture force, that is. As today, you will have me, myself, and I, plus one more, Paul Wheaton on. And we're going to talk about Paul's different flavor of permaculture. We're going to talk about a lot of things. And it really is just two guys that have been doing this a long time, uh, having a productive discussion and at times just venting over some of the crap we've dealt with over the years and uh, talking about some of the people we admire, some of the things about. This was a fantastic discussion. I really enjoyed this. Uh, it went long, a little over two hours, so it might be one you break in half or something like that. But uh, I think we had more activity in the live chat feed on this episode than any other episode we've ever done. And we didn't have more people. We had, uh, the counter really is for YouTube, is all it really tells us. But on YouTube alone, we had like a hundred and a half, 150 people, a little more, a little less from time to time. Uh, and I have episodes where we have four or five hundred, uh, in the live chat, and it wasn't as active as it was today. It was blistering the speed that the chat came in and really engaging, enjoyable conversations. And it was fun. And I think you'll enjoy, uh, this one. It won't be really a how to. It's more all about. And a lot, so also a lot about the things that Paul is doing that you can go to Montana and be part of if you want to. Uh, just a really cool discussion. We'll have that in just a moment. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors today. Sponsor of the day number one today is KnifeKits.com. If you want to learn how to make knives, you can go to school for it. You can find somebody to apprentice with. You can go through a lot of stuff. Or you can get the basics by just going to KnifeKits.com, buying a kit, picking some handle materials, and maybe get a book or a DVD to go along with it, and, and kind of just make your first knife. And then you can take it anywhere you want to from there because KnifeKits.com has kit knives. They have raw materials. I mean, they have stuff like Damascus steel. They have buffalo horn. They even have mammoth tusk. I even have a knife Patrick Rorman made for, for me with mammoth tusk material that came from KnifeKits.com. Did you know you could get fossilized mammoth tusk? You really can. It's very, very cool, and it probably doesn't look anything like you think it would look. Check it out today at KnifeKits.com to learn more. Next up today, the Free State Project. Been uh, promoting Free State Project since, I think, about 2010. It was either 2009 or 2010, very early in the days of TSP. Uh, Free State Project came on my radar. I spoke at Liberty Forum there three different times. And I've really always had a blast with those folks up there in New Hampshire. If you don't know about Free State Project, the idea is to bring as many people as you can to one place with a very small but high representative form of government. In other words, it's a little state, so a few people can make a big difference. And they have actually a very large legislative body. So per representative, it's a very small number of people that they represent in the state house. And what they've been doing over the last decade and a half is dragging New Hampshire, if necessary, against its will, kicking and screaming in the direction of liberty. And they've done so much. And you can learn all about it while you take a vacation. And God, this is a great time of year to do it. 
all the way through the summer into fall. Beautiful time to vacation in New Hampshire in the White Mountains or wherever you want to go in New Hampshire. The New Hampshire coast gets overlooked. It's a beautiful place. And when you do that, you can meet people that are part of Free State Project while you're on vacation. You might even be creative enough to make, figure out how to make your vacation into a tax deduction by doing that. And whether you move there or not, you'll make some new friends. You'll have a great vacation. You'll view, visit a beautiful part of the world. To learn about the program, go to fsp.org forward slash visit NH. Let me remind you real quick, if you want to support this show, join the Member Support Brigade. You have two days left, today and tomorrow, to get the discount using the discount code MEXICO22, M-E-X-I-C-O-2-2. That will get you MSB for 35 bucks a year instead of 50 Yes, it's for new customers only, but not because I'm like Verizon or T-Mobile or whatever. It's because it's a software limitation and a billing limitation. And if I try to let you renew early, you get double billed. And I'm sorry that that's the way that works, but it is. With that, let's go ahead and bring Paul on and drop on into our live feed today. <laughs> and with that, folks, we are live. This may create a disturbance in the force. Jack Spirico and Paul Wheaton not only discussing permaculture on the same podcast, but doing it on a live feed across the Internet with, well, only the potential for censorship. Paul, it's been a long time since you've been on the show as a guest. Welcome back, man. Oh, thanks for having me back. I uh, I love the prep work on, on what we <laughs> – what to be careful talking about. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably come in because you're just that guy, right? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and have your sensor finger ready. No, I, I don't have censorship capabilities. I can mute you. That's about all I can do, right? And once it's said, it's already been said, right? We can't go backwards. And I do love the full beauty of the English language. <laughs> so anyway, guys, before we start, I want to remind you, if you are in the live feed, we can see you. We can even put you up on screen like that right there and let you be seen and heard. And occasionally we, we will maybe talk back to you here and there. But we save questions for the end. If you want to put up a question for me or Paul, I have a magic power. I can hit a little star that'll put it on a list. Put your questions, at least the first couple words in all caps. I won't even read them. I'll just star them. And at the end, they'll all be there. If you don't do that, I'll probably miss it. Anyway, Paul, now that we've got the rules handed down, the very few of them that there are, uh, let's let folks who maybe tune in for the first time today and don't know who the hell a Paul Wheaton or what a Paul Wheaton is, just give us a little bit about your background. How did you get involved with permaculture in the first place? You know, I was kind of thinking about this before the show started, and I kind of thought um, it was through fishing. I I used to go up into the wilderness to go fishing, and I loved it. I loved fishing so much. And then I heard that oh, when you eat fish, you gotta you gotta ease off because of the um, mercury, the mercury in it. And I and my response was, well, well, not me. I, I go. So far up into the wilderness, I don't have that problem. And I was told, no, you do. It's because of the coal plants. The mercury goes up into the atmosphere, and it comes down evenly over the whole planet, including up in the wilderness. So even even those fish now have toxic levels of mercury. You shouldn't eat that. And I was so upset. <laughs> and And so, all right, so I was a software engineer for decades, And I'll, I, I want to say a damn good one. Every once in a while, in fact, in the comments, if anybody could shout out that they used Bananacom back in the day, uh, most of the software engineering I did is stuff I'm not allowed to talk about. But uh, I, I did do aerospace. Uh, I, I, uh, I, in fact, I wrote the predecessor for Google Earth. Only on mine, you could task the satellite to take new pictures. 
And so um, spacecraft was something I really enjoyed. But um, I got to this point in my life where I wanted things to be better. And I kind of felt like the way things were going were so bad. And, and, uh, and I tried to encourage others to do good. They were, it became clear that if I want to change, if I want to see change, I have to do it myself. So I quit my career and, uh, which was very lucrative. I, I was very good. I got paid a lot, <laughs> but I quit that and I, um, I got on this, this angle where I felt like I could make a difference and I have been utterly, thoroughly obsessed about this path, permaculture. Ever since, uh, and and um, yeah, I could go on and on and on about this path. At some point in time, I got bit by the gardening bug back in uh, the mid '90s or so, and uh, became absolutely obsessed about gardening while still being a software engineer. In fact, it was kind of funny. I was just telling somebody this yesterday that uh, um, I I came out with Bananacom and it was an overnight success, a huge, huge, huge success, and uh, but then it was like a, I developed it in the fall or winter, and then when spring rolled around, and it was my second attempt at gardening. I became so obsessed with gardening, I just kind of let all of the banana com stuff sit on on the wayside. Oh, hey, check this out! There it is! <laughs> all right, and then um, I think beyond that, uh, I, I I mean. I, at some point in time, I caught your eye, and, uh, and then you brought me uh, onto a show, and I had, like, all these extra subscribers. All these people started paying attention to my stuff even more. And uh, so and then you and I have been together doing stuff since, and, and I need to thank you profusely. You gave me <laughs> – you would call me on the cell phone, like, once a month and tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, I don't know, Jack, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm already, but one of the things you said is I have to start a mailing list and I put it off for more than a year and I finally did it. And now in hindsight, it's like, that's like the most powerful tool in my toolbox now to, to get stuff done. And, uh, I, I love sending out an email to the list. And, and I think another thing I'm not sure if you've said to your people often enough is if somebody on your mailing list tries to tell you that you're sending too many emails or that there's something wrong, like you're the, the full beauty of the English language is yeah. inappropriate, <laughs> then uh, you, you tell them to piss off. Well, you tell them there's a link at the bottom that says unsubscribe and to fucking click it. Oh, or right? piss off. <laughs> yeah, either way, they'll figure it out, right? I love the people that email me and tell me to unsubscribe them. And I'm like, <laughs> you literally just put more effort into it than clicking the link yeah. that says unsubscribe. That's all you had to do, and I've refused to do it for you because you've done that and because you've wasted energy. And that's, you know, you have only so much life force, and you've wasted it, and you need to learn a lesson about wasting your life force. I've become a little more diplomatic in time, you know. But oh, I, I've learned that you can actually hurt people more being diplomatic than being just like straight up vulgar. I do, I still do it. Like the F word is totally allowed here, you know. But like at times when you're like, there's a line in the Bible. I'm not religious or anything. There's a line in the Bible that's something along the lines of heap loving coals of kindness upon the head of your enemy. 
<laughs> and that being kind to people that don't deserve it actually hurts them. But you're still right, so go ahead and do it. But I, I can't say I always do that. I, on another note, I'm glad you did that. But back way, way back in the day, prior to TSP, one of my main businesses was actually doing like online training for people how to make money on the Internet. I was one of those guys, except I was an honest one. Those are hard to find. But one of the things I did is like my lead-in, I wrote this report. It was called Eight Internet Marketing Landmines. And they were, when I started online, they were the eight biggest mistakes I made. And number one was not building a list. And my estimate at the time, so you adjust for inflation now, we're talking like 2001, I put this report out, is that not doing that cost me at least $50,000 a year until I started doing it. So I'm like, you really hate money. If you get, and the other thing is like, so I know we're supposed to be talking permaculture here, but since you brought it up, um, if you look at when one company buys another company, we think they buy their ability to manufacture widgets or they buy their ability to write contracts or whatever it is they do as their thing. That's not why you buy another company. You buy a company to buy their customer base. That's, or you buy them to prevent them from competing with you, one or the other, right? So your email list is your customer base. Without it, you don't have one and you're screwed. So that's, Free advice to everybody out there that whether it's permaculture, whatever you want to build an enterprise on, like you have to have a customer base or kind of any value. It took me years to come up with a product um, to even put to the customer base. I was just obsessed with uh, affecting positive change by my standards. I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that would um, uh, look at look at my standards and say I'm a monster. Uh, there, there may have been one or two that have said exactly that, but uh, I, I believe that I have affected a lot of uh, positive change. I, I believe that I've helped a lot of people um, and made their I, – I, I think right now that there are a million people that will never know cancer because they're following some dopey thing I said that saves the money. And uh, so they, they save money and they just go about their lives and they would have encountered cancer and now they haven't. I, this is me – just feeling like I'm following this path I set up for myself and I'm obsessed and I can't stop. <clears throat> so, but the mailing list was effective at those goals. And later, when I started doing Kickstarter for the very first time, it proved to be like a, an amazing powerhouse for that kind of thing. And it's like, so over and over and over again, I think to myself, Oh, I'm so glad I did this. Why did I wait so long? And I can understand why he kept calling me every month and <clears throat> lecturing me. By the way, you also said I should do something like the member support brigade. Yeah. And I did. I said something like that up at Permies. We call it the pie program. Um, but I, I don't have anywhere near the success that you do. But on the other hand, you mentioned the member support brigade in every podcast. And my podcasts are spotty at best. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have 600 now. And so That's there's, awesome. there's a lot of them. And Dude. it was, I think it was somewhere around podcast number 600 where you first brought me in. So I'm, I'm, uh, kind of caught up to where you were about 10 years ago. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that's an accomplishment. There are very few podcasts that, that hit a hundred, very okay. few that ever hit a hundred because it takes dedication. Most people do a weekly. If you do a weekly, it takes two years roughly to get to a hundred. You know, it's, it's different when you do, I mean, it's what I do every day. So you can pat me on the back for it, but like once something becomes your your business, it's what you do, right? Like I'm sure you make forum posts every day. But hey, I wanted to give you a thank you here that I didn't know I owed you because they're one of my favorite critters on the planet. 
Smelling error says you've saved thousands of jumping spiders on this homestead alone. I have no idea how you did that, Paul. <laughs> but thank you because jumping spiders are literally one of my favorite freaking critters. And I have these ones here. They're like twice the size of an average one. They're black with red eyes. I don't know what species they are, but they're all over the place. They live all over my plants. I actually put up a picture one time. You, you'll love this, right? This is, there's no dumb questions except when they're dumb questions. So I put this picture up and it's a, it was a broccoli or a kale, some brassia. And it's early in the year. So the, 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 the moths are laying their little green brassia eating worms or little uh, cabbage worms. And this spider sitting there sucking the life out of one of the worms. And there's like three more worms sitting like five inches from the spider. Where the spider's going to finish one and go poop and just get another one. And somebody says, what do you do to control cabbage worms if you don't spray them? Because I said, I don't need to spray because look what the oh. spider's doing. The spider's sitting there eating the cabbage worm. And they want to know, what do I do to control the cabbage worm if I don't use seven? It was seven dust that they used. And to be fair, my grandfather oh. did that. He was an old man. He didn't know any better. I mean, you know, you did what you had to. But, like, how do you not see the connection here? And so I love those dudes, man. <sighs> They're so awesome. Like, you could play with them. They, like, dance around. Oh. They bite. I mean, so that's exactly what it is. They're responding to a YouTube video I made, like, I, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. Really? And, uh, and I would move my mouse around on the screen, and there's a jumping spider on the screen. So I'm taking video of the jumping spider. Oh, I remember that now. And then he'd go, chomp. <laughs> <laughs> but as part of it, because I thought that was fun, <laughs> but as part of it, it's like the permaculture message is, is that, there are two spiders I allow in my house, jumping spiders and um, uh, daddy long legs. Okay. And uh, uh, because I've been bitten by a brown recluse once uh, many no, decades awesome. ago. And, and so it's like, but basically if you allow these spiders in, they not only do they control, you know, uh, fungus gnats and, and flies and other things like that. So you don't have any of that, but also uh, they eat up all of the brown recluse uh, chow. The Purina Brown Reclus, yeah, 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 and so, um, but it's just, I, I think that they're just a fun little spider, and it's, and uh, it's like anything that you're like you're spooked about, because you know there's some spiders that freak me out, man, um, and and that's, I was speaking about fishing earlier, and I got to tell you, as much as I love snakes, I love snakes, if I'm out fishing and I see a snake. Even if it's a garter snake, I am such a wuss. I'm done. I'm done. Ah, 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 I'm done. And it's like, I don't care how my boots come up to my thighs or anything. It's like, no, they wig me out. You know, you know, before we move on, I wanted to point something out. Your story of how you got started with permaculture actually is, is not that different from Bill Mollison's. Because Bill said that he was out cutting trees down, doing timber work, and he realized the problem was that none of the people doing the work would ever be able to afford the house that the timber was being cut to build. That was that was part of his genesis story as to what put him down that path, that he was out there destroying forest for the purpose of building homes, knowing that the people doing the work to do the destruction of the forest would never be able to afford the home that the timber was being removed to build. And it's the, it's like Tommy Chong and Cheech, you know, Cheech, uh, Marin, right? It's, it's Cheech and Chong. It's the same, but different, man. 
<laughs> this, this, does that look like dog shit to you? <laughs> I should not get you on that. All right. Let's, let's get Did into some. Did you mention Chi Chung? Yeah, I know. I know. You know what that's from? It's the same but different, man. It's the one with the music. Where, where Cheech plays, you know, this song like Mexican Americans don't like to get up early in the morning, but they have to, so they do it really slow. It was in, uh, it was either Nice Dreams or Up in Smoke, and then, like, so he plays his whole song, and then Tommy's like, I have a song too. It's the same but different, man. And he starts just playing like it's almost like a Batman riff on a bass guitar. It's like, and he's like. Beaners, beaners. <laughs> now I'm gonna offend somebody, and this is a Cheech and Chong movie from the 1980s, right? And I'm, it's the same but different, man. Anyway, let's talk about your okay. stuff. You got a oh. bunch of stuff coming, like on-site events. Oh. I, I do like one big one a year. It's a ton of work. You're doing a bunch of stuff, and so I have a lot of questions. But it'd be easier if you just just start talking about, like, what are you doing this summer up on? I don't know what you call it, Wheaton Ranch on the Hill, the Wheaton Kingdom, the Wheaton Wheaton. I, Dutchery, what, what, whatever it, it is. Lab. Lab, kinda, all right. When I got here, uh, I kind of thought of Bill Nye the Science Guy, and he's got Nye Laboratories. And so, but really the thing is, is we do so much experimenting with all kinds of things that it's a, it's, it's just constant experimentation. And, uh, so we call it Wheaton Labs, and I realized, I kind of regretted it a little bit. I, you know, we should have called it something else, like Permaculture Labs, maybe, or something. Um, but uh, I was just thinking about Bill Nye, the science guy. But this this summer, in fact, I want to comment real quick about uh, Bill Mollison cutting down those trees and, and kind of having the idea of like, but anybody working here isn't going to be able to afford it. I think one of the big things that we've done here is uh, not only the, the permaculture boot camp, where at the end of two years, you get your acre. You get an acre for life. And so... Um, uh, we've got people at the program now that are looking towards that acre. And, uh, I, I kind of, so basically the permaculture bootcamp thing is, uh, learn permaculture through a little hard work. But I kind of feel like there was a point in my life where I wanted a place like what I'm offering now. And I felt like I want to be part of a community. I want to be part of a bunch of people that are industrious. I want to be part of a people with similar values and, um, uh, and it's just like the price of land just kept going up and up and up and up. And then to get in on anything that's already existing was so incredibly expensive, um, or to buy land outright. And so now we've got, uh, a program here where we got deep roots. Uh, we've got, uh, ant village. We've got, uh, the boot camp, but I think the boot camp is the, is the solid win. And so people who have money and can afford our program, they tend to want to go through the boot camp anyway, because it's kind of like, they're not sure if they have what it takes to be able to build something and uh, to, on raw land. <clears throat> and so uh, the more the boot camp goes on, the more I think that that's really the solution for so many different things. And um, all right, I want to uh, go on that for a while, but, but you asked about summer events. And uh, so we've got three events this summer. We've got the permaculture design course for uh, scientists and engineers. And then the big one I think that you're asking about, which is the permaculture technology jamboree. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where we're going to have like uh, more than a dozen tracks of simultaneous builds and 15 instructors and growing. Um, and uh, uh, But basically any of the attendees 
will be able to um, wander around and observe the builds or participate as much or as little as they like. And so uh, uh, we're going to be building around door. We're going to be building rocket mass heater shippable cores that people can take home. Uh, we're going to be uh, building a robust apothecary. Uh, we're going to be putting up uh, a million calories of food. We'll be preserving it in some way that doesn't require energy. So, like, we have two massive solar food dehydrators, and we also have uh, the ability to do canning uh, with, with rocket mass heaters. We have a brand new – we had a, a, a rocket mass heater event last fall. Uh, we have a new Lorena stove. I don't know if you're familiar with this Lorena style of rocket mass heater. It's where um, – Rather than heating a surface and then putting your pot on the surface, instead there's like the rocket engine comes up uh, to just below a hole. And your okay. pot, and the whole thing is designed for the pot. And the pot sits down in the hole so that way the heat hits the pot directly and heats the pot directly and it heats the sides of the pot. So sure. your whole burn is far more efficient. And so uh, when it comes to canning, uh, uh, this is a, a, a big part of it. So it's got – anyway, <clears throat> the important thing is is that there's um, uh, uh, a dozen different builds happening all at the same time, and all of them are permaculture things. And, uh, uh, and people can have as much or as little of any of the different things. So it's kind of like – most of my audience is national. And I feel like if you're going to come a thousand miles or more and drop some serious coin on a ticket, it's going to be your one or two weeks off from work, then I better make it absolutely the most magnificent permaculture event there's ever been. And so that's, that's what we're trying to do. And, um, we usually have a, a magnificent group of people. And then of course, at the end of the event, we have a lot of cool new stuff. <laughs> But uh, we will have an entire bodger track. Um, I'm sure you know what a bodger is, uh, but we'll have a whole track of nothing but bodger stuff. Um, and then um, I'm trying to – I should probably pull up the big list of all the things. Oh, yeah, I see the mycelium. Some of your people know about the event, the mycelium insulation panels. And so, yes, yeah. we'll, we'll have uh, – Insulation that's made from mycelium, and it'll, it'll be done here during the event. Um, there's going to be uh, definitely building hookah cultures uh, with an excavator. Everybody who comes to the event gets a chance to drive the excavator. I'm sure you, Jack, have driven an excavator before. I have driven an excavator. It's not as much fun here as it is there. How you is that? stuff called soil that you can actually dig up out oh, of the ground. That's I have true. stuff called topsoil that you can scrape four inches off the rock. Yeah. And then you can pull lumps of rock out, and then if you want to destroy your excavator, you can try to go into the sarcophagus limestone. So um, uh, here at Basecamp, so I've got two properties. Uh, the, the one that's the, the, the property that I bought that we call the lab, and um, uh, it's got deep soils, real deep soils, and we could build wafatis and stuff. And then uh, we've got base camp, which you've been to. Like when you came up here, I don't think you went up to the lab, did you? Or did you? I can't remember. Uh, I don't even know if there was a lab. Let's 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 do something right here. Let's the, let's share the image for today's show real quick with those who can see it who are not on the audio only. This is a very much younger Jack Spierko and Paul Wheaton. <laughs> yes, 
I remember that. Yeah, let's. That's uh, at my place. Yeah, here. I'll just make it a little bit bigger for everybody. Yeah. That's the lab. So that, that's that's, lab. that's 2013. Yeah, that's 2013. That's, so that's um. That's, that's a long. In Helena. That's when I was in Helena for Dave Jackie's thing. Yeah. 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 And. Uh, <laughs> that's a long time ago. My beard's black. I had. <laughs> I I uh I kept wanting us to talk about that event and and you kept saying that uh something about you know you didn't want to and so we didn't I don't think we ever did did we I don't know because if you don't have nice things to say we're not going to talk about a thing I have nice things to say but they're just <laughs> different yeah than what was yeah. said anyway so moving <laughs> on to your permaculture jamboree and all the cool shit that's going to be there. After the after the permaculture technology jamboree, uh, we're going to have our skip event. And so now uh, I I sent you the the link to the skip page. Everything about skip is totally free, and nobody has to come out here to do it. It's just that some people like to, and so we're having the skip event as our third and final summer event. And uh, uh, to me. All of Skip seems like the most jack thing I have ever done. And, um, and I, 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 I know that the Better World book, when I wrote that, you loved it. You, I, you know, I sent you an early copy and you were about to bust. You were so happy with that book. And I'm, I'm glad you loved it because I worked very hard on that. The Skip thing, um, I never, it's like I would send you links and stuff and, and it's like, you, of course you're busy and you didn't have time and, and I, but now, now you've looked at it. Oh, Jack, I'm, I'm dying to hear it. Is it the most Jack thing I've ever created? It's very cool. I don't know if it's the most Jack thing you've ever created, but it is, it is very cool that it leads people through a development of skills. Um, with an end goal in mind of, of networking with people who have the issue that I have this property and I don't want it to go away. I don't want it to be sold off and, and become a development by BlackRock for rent housing and, right. and putting those people together. And I actually think there's some things in it that, like, I think getting the connection made is the important thing. And so you have, like, this view of how the connection works. The connection works that – you know, Bill busts his ass, develops his skills. He finds Martha. Martha's an aging widower. She's on Fred's farm. Fred passed away, and she decides, I don't want the farm to go and become a development or whatever. I don't want it to be lost. So she leaves it to Bill. I think there's, like, probably just by starting that conversation, there's probably a 100 ways that Bill can end up eventually with the farm. It's not just when that person retires or kicks off, and I don't mean kicks off in a disrespectful way. We all ki- I'll kick off one day. Paul will kick off. That's just how it works. Um, they'll leave it. Like I could see a bunch of different ways this could happen. One I can envision is, and I've tried to talk to a neighbor gently about this because I don't want his property to get sold, right? I'm not even worried about inheriting. I don't want to get sold. And I've, I've even tried to structure things like what we could do is I could buy it from you now, right? And lease it back to you. And then when you pass away, there's no inheritance, there's no nothing, and you get the money now. Like, and I think there's a lot of different, or you could lease at a, a reduced rate over time, so your cost of living's lower. You're living there, you're making improvements now, and that older person, or that person that can't do it all anymore, has a helper. I think there's a thousand ways that that final handoff could occur, and I think one of the reasons people express some skepticism about it is because this idea that if I'll just go through basically the permaculture Boy Scout handbook and get all my badges, somebody will leave me property. I think maybe they're missing that. 
that there is, it's not a one, one and done way that things can happen. No, I think, uh, in fact, I, I would have to say three quarters of the people that are currently pursuing, uh, the, the skip stuff, uh, they're doing it either for their own growth or, um, or they want to be in their own mind certified cool. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, I think already like when people post at a permies and it says stuff in there about, um, this person is PEP one certified, I think it already carries a lot of weight or if they're BB 60 or something like that, you know, these different ratings that we have, then, um, uh, I think it, it adds a lot of weight to what they're saying. Like, you know, I'm not just, you know, uh, somebody that's, uh, 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 Making this up as I go, or a uh, what, what's the phrase? Uh, an armchair quarterback. I'm not yeah. just an armchair quarterback. Yeah. Look, I've actually done this stuff, and so <clears throat> therefore their words have a little bit more weight. And so I, I think it's, uh, and I think some people, some people are seeking a, a flavor of substance, like like they're asking themselves, who am I? What am I made out of? And, and I think, I think I'll bet a, at least a third of the people that are currently participating in it, that's their primary motivation, motivation is to just satisfy themselves by their own standards. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that you know, I have value to me kind of yeah. a, a thing. So, well, and but, just kind of to, to your point there on, on two sides of it, right? So right now we have Bonnie Blue 2A. Now I've known Bonnie Blue in comments and all for more than a decade. That's how long Bonnie Blue has been around and commenting on my videos and, and stuff. And right here saying, this sounds very interesting to me as a middle-aged landowner with no children. So we only have 150-odd people on this right now. You already have one out of 150 going, you know, I got a piece of land and somebody that actually does this, I'm interested in it. But Tom, and I don't know if you missed the comment earlier, Tom, Tom's actually the guy that does all my web shit for me. He's like the web guru that makes TSP run today, right? And he said earlier he's going to be using it as part of his homeschool curriculum. And he's responding here to Ashley, and he's saying the first thing that came to mind, without the property, it's a great resource. So you've got one person saying, hey, as a property owner, I see the value in this of finding someone. you got another person saying, I, I really don't care if I ever get my hands on somebody else's land. I want the development that comes along with the skill set, and I want to use it to help train my kids through their actual education instead of public school indoctrination. And I think that's really awesome, dude. I, I think that the the value of it to is multifaceted to so many different people. But yeah, a lot of homeschoolers. We're getting a lot of homeschool parents that are getting involved in it. Um, <clears throat> there's people that uh, want to get validation for their for being a consultant. Um, you know, to prove that they have accomplished something verifiably so. As yeah, opposed, it's to it's way beyond a PDC. Like I'm not putting PDCs down. Please, nobody think that. But I look at the PDC and permaculture a lot like I, when I was in when I was in uh, communications, cabling, telecom. There was a certification I had called RCDD, and if you were a good network designer and an RCDD, you were badass. But anybody yeah. could study the manuals, pass the RCDD exam. You might have taken it five times and spent five hundred dollars a pop to take it, but you would eventually pass it. You'd get the stamp. It, but you hand that person a set of blueprints and some jacks and some cable and some patch panels and go make it happen. They couldn't do it. So I think that PDCs can go either way, but something like this can only, if you actually progress through it, it can only go one direction. Right. I mean, the, the proof, 
you have to provide photographic evidence of what you've done for each BB. <clears throat> I think it, so I think that makes it very substantial to get PEP one certified. Um, there you go. The other Ashley, thing is Ashley says right here, I'll be PEP one certified at the end of April. Oh, Ashley's on there. She's, uh, yeah, we're, we're having a BB 20 event, uh, uh, here in a month or so. And Ashley's going to be here <clears throat> and she's really close to getting PEP one certified. So uh, she'll be here. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I gotta say though, the whole way it came about is the natural builder, Mike Ayler was calling me like once a month and he's kind of freaking out. He's like, he knows the end is near. And he wants all his projects to keep moving forward. And, uh, every time he calls me, his standards get lower. No. <laughs> and, and it's like, he wants to will it to somebody. And, um, and I kind of kept kind of thinking like, there's got to be a way to, to figure this out. Because the other thing is, as much as Mike Ayler is calling me before Mike called me, there's like a dozen ever, other old geezers who are kind of saying the same thing. They're like, I need to will my land to somebody that's going to keep doing the thing. And, um, do you know anybody? And, and my, my thought always is, is like, why couldn't you talk to me 20 years earlier? <laughs> and so, um, they're just looking for somebody that isn't going to turn around, and just sell it. Somebody's going to keep on homesteading. And, um, now that we've kind of come out with the skip thing, there's been like probably 30 or 40 people that have contacted us since we've announced Skip. And uh, one thing we've learned is that, because you mentioned a scenario earlier where the pepper would contact the elderly landowner. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, we have, we have learned yeah. that never works. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. what we do is that. Well, in that, uh, I understand why that doesn't work. This is a neighbor and he's getting there. And he has no heirs. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I don't want, he's got enough land too that somebody could conceivably subdivide it and put six houses behind me. And I, I don't want that, right? And like, okay, let's say he dies. Yeah. Then, then the government gets the land. Yeah, or then, who knows? Yeah. And then the government just sells it. Yeah. To, and, uh, it's like the, uh, amount of, uh, the number of properties, homestead properties, that end up just going into the hand. It it is bizarrely huge. Like I think it's about, it's it's somewhere between a third and half. It's it's like a lot, and and these people are desperately trying to find somebody to to will their land to. In the meantime, you keep meeting. I mean, Jack, I'll bet you have met more than a hundred people personally, face to face, who have said. I can't afford this stuff. It's like I'll have to go and work and I'll have to score a sweet paying gig to come up with enough money to buy a lame piece of property and do lame stuff. And it's like, uh, and it's, it's bizarre how these two communities have just never met. So, um, uh, and at the same time, uh, you put somebody up, like somebody posts out to Permies and says, Okay, I need to find somebody who's willing to take over because, you know, then it's like you'll get 400 people saying, I'm worthy, give it to me. And I'll, and it's like, <laughs> it turns out they're totally not. And so it's like, how do you, 
for for every person who is going to end up getting legitimately PEP1 certified, I bet you could easily find 40 people who will claim that they're worth every bit of PEP1 certification, and they're not. They're just yeah. not. And so um, uh, I, I would say another one that has come up is uh, where, like, okay, let's say you, Jack, you've got, like, this little uh, – little mother-in-law home out back and you're thinking of renting it out and somebody comes up and says, how about if you let me stay there and I'll, I'll help you around on your projects on the property. And you're thinking that sounds fair. What happens, Jack? Oh, no, I'll I'll tell you you what I would do. I'll tell you what I would do. So I have an out because they become (laughs) a tenant and I can't get rid of them without a six month eviction period. And they're probably going to be a sponge. If I wanted to make that deal, I would say I will rent you the mother-in-law suite for $50 a month through, hold on, you got to wait, you got to wait for it, Paul, <laughs> through Airbnb or Hip Camp. And the reason oh, I would do that, you're not a tenant. Insurance. And so if I say that we've had enough, it's time for you to leave and you don't want to leave, I make one phone call, the local sheriff comes down and grabs you by the neck and throws you over my fence into the street. And that is the only way I would make that deal because I've made deals of partnerships and work exchange and all, and it always, always, always blew up in my face. So now let's suppose at the same time somebody else is coming up and they say they offer the same thing. Jack, let me stay in that house and I'll help you around on your property. But they're PEP one certified. I'm more open. Yeah. I'm more yeah. open. I'm not saying yeah. yes straight out of the gate, but I'm I'm willing to entertain the conversation because I at least know when I say, look, um, I've been thinking about putting in some new beds over there and I just phoned up because I don't have, I don't have soil here. So I just phoned somebody up. I just had 10 yards dumped in the field over there. Here's my tractor. Here's my trailer, right? Here's a shovel. Go make beds that at least they know what to do because if I have to stand out there and teach you to do the thing, it actually, in, in most instances, will take me more effort to teach you to do the thing than to do the thing without you here. And I'm willing to do that for my grandchildren. Because as a grandfather, that's my responsibility to raise them up in the world. A grown-ass man that's making a work exchange, because we're talking about a work exchange here. Yeah. That's like, I'm not going to hire you into yeah. a job I need to train you for unless it's entry level. And you make minimum wage, right? I mean, that's, that's when I used to run companies. That's If you were getting paid... Twice minimum wage or more, the day you showed up and sat down, you better be able to do your job or you don't get to stay here. I, I think, uh, that the thing you just said <clears throat> is the reason why most farmers that have done woof in the past don't do it, it anymore. Yeah. yeah. They, they did it for a while. They got sick of it and they're like, screw it. I'm out. But, uh, the permaculture boot camp, uh, we're, we're like thinking like, okay, we're, we're taking those people in, those people that have never done anything at all and basically we've developed a system and now <clears throat> my past is being a software engineer so yeah. uh, I'm a powerful advocate for agile software development systems which I'm sure most people have no idea what that is and they don't care but I'm also a powerful advocate for what, what's called in software engineering it's called pair programming and we do tons of that here nobody we, we well I shouldn't say nobody we, we do our best to make it so that whenever a person's out there at work, there's at least one other person with them elbow to elbow. And the knowledge transfer is immense. So in the software engineering world, 
that if you took away half the workstations, you get double the amount of productive work done in any given month. I know that sounds absolutely contrary to what everybody believes, but it's with this pair programming model. You take away half the workstations, and now you got two engineers at every workstation. And I could spend hours talking about pair programming and how it works and stuff like that, but let's just say this is what we do here. And that way there's a transfer of knowledge between these two people with every passing hour, and then they go and they pair with somebody else the next day. And then they pair with somebody else the day after that. And, and so there's this constant exchange of information while you're doing the work. So basically, um, there's, there's this cross-pollination of knowledge that happens constantly throughout every day. So generally, the new people are paired with the more experienced people, but it gets swapped out. The, 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 the knowledge growth rate is phenomenal. And, um, and so then it, but it still, of course, takes a few weeks until we start to see benefit. Um, at the same time, we have people that, in fact, a lot of people from your show have come out here as part of, to be a boot for a week. And they, and they're like, I'm a plumber. That's my day job. And yeah. they come out and they're like, point it where it hurts. And then, and then we're doing plumbing this week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And you know, and see, that's what, that's what the challenge is for like, okay, so you have, what do you have, like 160 acres or something like that? You have a 200. big place. Yeah, we have a, a the 200 acre property that is the lab, okay. and then we have the 20 acre property that is base camp. So over 200 acres total, right? Yeah. Okay, I have three. And you have certain things that are in progress, right? And then you have people around those things that know those things. So you take new guy, you put new guy surrounded, it's just like your, your computer analogy, you put new guy surrounded by experienced guy, well, what are we doing? Well, we're doing whatever we're doing, and then they start doing it, and then that skill gets transferred. It does. Small landholders that don't have you know, like some sort of commercial enterprise or something, the problem we have is we don't have enough work that's consistent to drop a person into it so that they develop a rhythm so that then we can hand them additional things. Now, I did it one time, like when we were doing commercial duck eggs, right? I had enough stuff. from I had hired a young kid farmhand here. The, the, the one that put gas in my diesel truck, by the way. Oh. That, was, that was fun. That was fun. He got stuck in the middle of the road. He called me. Like, young people are so fragile today, some of them anyway. Like, he called me. He was so panicked. I thought he I thought he wrecked my truck and killed the family. And it was just the truck stopped on the road. I'm like, oh. I'll get somebody out there to tow it for you. Just stay with it and relax. But anyway, you know, bring them in. And then, so every day we had collection, cleaning, screening, packaging. So that gave an hour of solid work every day. So I knew it was a thing he could show up and start doing mm -hmm. and then refilling my duck pools and stuff like that. So it was a very easy thing. One day of training. If you don't fall, you can't do it after a day. You can't do it. Goodbye. And then if I needed something else, I would have time after he got here to figure out what I wanted. But if you want me to hire somebody that I can just leave a list and say, this is the shit to do today. I need somebody with experience. I can't, I can't do it. And I think there's a lot of people like me. Our operations are small enough that we can't have this big crew there all the time or even this small skeleton crew there all the time that's constantly taking new people in. That's a challenge. We did it at Permaethos. It was it, what it made me decide. <laughs> it, I will never do it if I can't step foot on the property myself every day. Like handing that off was a freaking disaster. Like you, you, you like it, it's amazing what it takes to actually do what you're doing. And I would say you could probably take a vacation now if you wanted to. 
But in the beginning, you probably had to be there, or you would have had like you'd come back and you'd have wolfers and knife fights or something. Oh shit! Uh, <laughs> I um, I, I have so much to say. It's all all at once. Um, I I feel like yeah, we got a lot of acres, and a big thing that I'm shooting for, a thing that I on my list of big needs, I I need to grow the future leadership of permaculture. I mean. Um, I, I, there was a conversation a couple of years ago where, um, somebody was complaining about how our permaculture leaders suck. And, uh, and they said, for example, and they listed off three people in the United, like the, for the United States. I'm, I'm happy to say that you and I made the top three. Okay. We suck. <laughs> and, we, okay. and we suck. Okay. And, and I kind of feel like I, I do think that it would be great if there was somebody that, had something big and amazing in the United States that was leading permaculture. I feel like I'm not qualified to be a big permaculture leader. I wish there was somebody far better than me, and I'm frustrated that there's not. I mean, Willie Smits came out here. I don't know if you're familiar with the work yep. of Willie Smits. Yep. He is magnificent. Wow. And while he was here, I felt like such a clod. I mean, the guy understands 40 languages. Uh, I, 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 I think I barely understand English. I, I do think I have a lovely writing style though. <laughs> but Willie Smith, I mean, he's, he's like taking millions of acres and, and then he's got communities of thousands of people living on those acres. And then he is measuring how his efforts are increasing the rainfall in the region. Like the work that he's doing is causing more rainfall. And on top of that, these people, these people were living such miserable, miserable lives. And now they're living magnificent lives. And, and he's measured all of it as a true scientist. And it's like, that's the kind of guy that ought to be in charge, but he's so busy with his project, he doesn't have time to take on all this other stuff. And I kind of feel like, wouldn't it be cool if permaculture was like this awesome organization with a Willie Smith-like guy running it, as opposed to, um, well, me, at least. I, I, I kind of feel like if I'm on the top three list, Okay, we do. I think I think it should be easy to do way better than me, and uh, but at the same time, I'm obsessed with my own projects. All right, so <clears throat> yes, with 200 acres, I could do so much more, and that's the plan. That's the idea. I want to grow the future leadership of permaculture, and I, what I want is I want to have 20 awesome permies all practicing their own artisanal style and seed and soil on their plots, and then. Each artist looks at the other and like, oh, I don't, you know, they're doing it this dumb way and I'm going to do it the better way. And so then they all, they all grow because they're near each other and they can see what the others are doing. And, and that's how we develop the future of permaculture and the, and the future leadership of permaculture. And so I, I know that if we've got great permaculture people right now, they're great because they already got their plot of land to do their own thing. And so. I know I gotta, I gotta grow my own experts. <laughs> and so that's kind of what, what we're doing. Um, and then, and then you were talking about, you know, what the person at your place would be doing. And it's kind of like one of the things that we do here is to say, 
on the boot camp, you never do the same thing for more than four hours in a row. In fact, during like right now, during the warm months, uh, every morning is gardening and every afternoon is natural building. And so, um, uh, all right. <clears throat> I'm, I'm sorry, Jack. Am I too far off on a tangent here? I no, got you're excited. Fine. You're fine. <laughs> I, I do, I do, I do four shows a week where it's just me. Having a break is awesome. I, I can sit here and sip my chamomile tea and out of my, my for Fox sake cup. Check that out. Isn't that cool? It doesn't really show <laughs> up on the camera very well for yeah. Fox sake, right? Oh, from a listener and I can enjoy myself. You're, you're delightful to listen to. I, I think your vision is really great. I think that it, it, it will really, it'll work. But I think one of the reasons that a lot of permaculturists like don't get what the other permaculturist is doing, and I, I've had like I've had this on steroids, because mm-hmm. I always have people telling me what I should do on my property, and what they're saying isn't wrong. It's just wrong for here. And you try to explain it with let's imagine that somebody gave you three acres of an old airport and that you got the runway. You got the the concrete (laughs) runway that's thick enough that 747 jumbos can take off and land on. And then to help you, they brought in dump trucks and they put four inches of dirt on top of the runway. They put a fence around it and said, this is yours. So when people are like, well, you don't have to irrigate. No. And and then you think they're explaining to you something you don't know, right? And you're like, no, everything you're saying is completely valid. Well, have you seen Paul Wheaton's Hugoculture shit? No shit. I, no, never, never. I have no idea what you're like, you know, and like, so you just need to dig below grade, man, and put some logs down there. And like, there, there's, there's no below grade to be had here unless I use dynamite and then it won't work because it's, it's limestone. However, I can show you where what we're doing and we've done for eight years has gone in and eaten limestone and turned it from white to orange, and we can dig it up and we take a piece of limestone and we go and we crush it like a piece of clay. So it's not that you're wrong, it's that your view is so limited, and I think there's two types of limited views in permaculture. There's there's behind the TV screen or behind the computer screen limited view, and those people I don't give two riffs about. Those are people they watch everybody's videos, they've done positively nothing. Nothing. And they want to tell the one person they're looking at what the other person did as though they're the authority. And those people, I, I don't care. But the other people are sincere. They watched the Paul Wheaton video. They built a giant hoogle mound. They put shit in it. It grew. It worked perfectly. And they're telling you you're a dumbass because you're irrigating trees that I promise you, I don't care if Sepp Holzer comes over and takes a leak on them, <laughs> they are going to die if you don't irrigate them. Because you have to get them into the fractures in the rock, and it takes a nurse period to get that done. And and so I think that having all these people together is really valuable. And what I'm hoping, though, is with this greater plan, that you create something akin to like what John Bush is doing with Freedom Cells for permaculture. So you have you know this group of eight that are this core group here, and then there's another group of eight over here, and then it creates cadres. Right. Of subgroup. Yeah, yeah. And then a larger yeah, yeah. because that way you would not only have all of this great interaction, but people would actually understand. No, it doesn't work the same way in Montana as it does in Texas. And no, it doesn't work the same way, by the way, in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area of Texas, Romfron, in the Black Loon Prairie sitting on a limestone slab, as it does, let's say, down near Austin, where they have deep ass sandy soils. 
all the techniques are valid, but the the way that they're put together, which arrow comes out of the quiver and gets shot at what particular time, how you how you stack in space and time changes across climate types. It changes across precipitation types. And there's so much ignorance, and I don't say that maliciously, there's so much ignorance in permaculture from people who have never gotten out of their bubble. And that's why I think it's great that people go to Montana to do your stuff right there because all of a sudden when they're like, well, you can, you can overwinter that stuff. Okay, Tex, well, let me show you what you're going to try to overwinter it in, right? You know, like, like I just plant, like, because I can plant oregano, throw some, throw some mulch on it, like two inches of mulch, and next year it comes back. But what if I'm the dumbass on, you know, and you're, you have your herb garden, you're like, we replant it every year or whatever, right? And I'm like, no, dumbass, all you got to do is mulch that oregano, it'll come back. What are you going to tell me? First, I want to say that uh, the hookah cultures that we have here at Base Camp, yeah, because because uh, Base Camp is a twenty-acre rock. I mean, okay. this is the this is the Rocky Mountains. Yep, and we're and 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 there's the rock, like like the soil. You have four inches of soil. Most of at Base best. Camp, at most best. Of, Yep, most of most of Base Camp is yeah. zero inches of soil. Like you're looking at the bedrock. And so, uh, in order to build these hula cultures, we imported the soily parts. But here's a fascinating thing is there are cracks in these rocks. And so we get the right amount of precipitation combined with winter, which you have less of. We don't, yeah, we don't have <laughs> And so we don't days. need, we don't, <laughs> we don't need as much precip. So we have 20 inches of precip here, I believe. I'm guessing based upon observation. Of the soil observation of what's growing here, I'm guessing 20 inches. What, okay. I'm going to guess that you're closer to 10. No. Uh, I am, depending on the year, I could have 20 like you do. I okay. could have 48. Wow. I've had years with 60, right? I've had years with 60, and I've had years with 16. And oh. what are you going to get? El Nino, La Nina. That's your. That's what's right. going to determine. This year is incredibly dry. We just got a half inch of rain last night. You go outside, and even in good condition soil, you go down an inch and it's dust. Okay. Because right. it's just yeah. not rain that much. But this this same property two years ago, we got 28 days of rain in May. Wow. So you got it designed to both sides of that extreme, right? And they were thinking, where'd you get your dirt? Did so you, uh you went I, up the mountain on your other land with a bucket loader and brought dirt down, right? So I would have to phone somebody up with a dump truck. I, 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 I bought a dump truck. It's, but you uh, but you had your own. It would cost me more for the dirt than it would for you to buy the truck. So I I bought a dump truck. We call it the Millennium Falcon. It's it's not a handsome thing. <laughs> uh, and they, they call it the Millennium Falcon because it's uh, it doesn't look like much, but it'll do the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. <laughs> so so, but it doesn't look like much. <laughs> so uh, uh, anyway, um, uh, we I bought a dump truck and then we'd go up to the lab and we'd fill it up and we'd come down and, and dump it down here and we probably made fifty runs with the dump truck. To, to build the hugo cultures down here. And so, um, uh, so there's, there's that. But the thing that you said that, that really got inside of me is where people say to you, Jack, Jack, you should do this thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, the thing is that for most people, what they're trying to say is, is like, 
I wish that you, Jack, would try this thing I'm excited about. That's yeah. what they're really saying. But maybe about one out of three, the subtext is obey or else. <laughs> and and it's like, and that has been like, oh, you got to be. And the more that you do, the more that you accomplish, the more that you reach people, the more these people come out of the woodwork that that are full of obey or else. And they haven't taken the time to understand what you're even trying to do. No. They just, ah, oh, I saw you have a big audience there. Now, now, here's what you should think now. I'm telling you what to think. I'm telling you what to say. Just so you know, this is not do. limited to permaculture here. that This is everything. Oh, yeah. I get yeah. unsolicited advice by failures every day on what I should do to make TSP more successful. And that's one thing because I can just, okay, goodbye, because you have nothing, so I'm not going to take I I don't believe in taking advice from people who are not proven competent in the area that they're giving advice. They don't have to be better than me. They just have to be proven competent. If you give me advice on a forum, I'm going to listen to it because you know how to run a forum, right? Because (laughs) you've done it, right? If if, (laughs) if I have a forum and you don't and you never have and you come to me and you say, hey, you know what you should do with your forum is, I might pay attention a little bit. But if it's a radical change in my operation, I'm not going to do it because you have no experience. I I think it's a basic thing. I think I think that uh, it might be fair to say that I have suffered more than you in this space. Probably as, in, in permaculture, as, sure, as, sure. As people, as people uh, say, obey or else, and then and then uh, they they haven't even taken the time to understand what I'm doing, and I say I, I gotta I gotta pass on your suggestion, then and they're like then I'm going to I'm going to mess up your life in a way you've never even imagined. Because you won't obey me, you you won't even listen to reason, and uh, it's like so. Then they they go and they they do what they they do what they gotta do. They gotta they gotta you know bring as much pain to my world as possible. I know, and th- and I'm bringing this up now because I know you've seen it, you've had it yourself, and and most of all is when they when they not only were they decided to, to do this to me on, on like somebody with an audience decided to do it then they put it to you to choose sides and you chose old Paul <laughs> and when they came, when they the came to you, does, this is what I always do I choose the people who do not force me to choose in oh, every that's situation that's my, that's my rule if you force me to choose between my relationship with you and my relationship with somebody else you lost yeah. Right. About the only person That's that right. might get away with that would be my wife. And if you ain't my <laughs> wife, yeah. right, then you don't, we don't, we don't have the conversation of like, you need to disassociate with somebody. And you know what I found is like, to me, the best people in permaculture are all that way. I have very different political ideology with a lot of folks. One of my dearest friends, and it was a, a horrible loss for me, was Toby Hemingway. I oh, mean, and, yeah. and we had some f- fairly different political views. And, he was put in that position, like, you shouldn't be with Jack. He's a climate denier or whatever, which is total bullshit anyway. But he was like, I prefer to cultivate allies. That was his entire response. That was, that was the, that was it, period. Right? Okay. Like, you are gone. You are banished. Um, Ben Falk and I have some very different views on the world as a whole, but we're allies in the world of permaculture. And I've always said that, like, permaculture is a place to take, because that's usually what causes, like, that's probably why I'm a dick. I made the top three dick list for permaculture teachers. Probably, according to you, I've never seen this. It doesn't this is, hurt my feelings. 
but it's this probably more about my political. Have? It's probably more about my political ideology, which they don't even know, by the way, right? But they assume prepper must be, you know, Trump card or whatever. Um, look at the flag; it's scary. It says "Leave them the fuck alone." Like that's that's terrible, you know, th- to be that way. It, it, rather than what I teach as a permaculturist, because what I teach of a, as a permaculturist, permaculturist are the the founding ethics. The prime directive, techniques, strategies, and tactics, right? So, like, it's hard to have a, a, a case that the person's a dick if that's all that they're teaching. And that's what I teach in permaculture. I, I'm very apolitical. <clears throat> I believe uh, politics is a circus made dominantly of scary clowns whose primary function is to distract you from what's really going on. I agree. And uh, the word out it, there, ass clowns, scary ass clowns. And, and you mentioned uh, climate <laughs> deniers, and it's like I'm not even in that game. Um, and so when they try to ask me, like, where am I on that? I my my position is is in a way I don't care. But but here's what I here's what I do care about is um, when people start talking about you know carbon footprint stuff and things like that, then they start going to all the wrong things like light light bulbs or something, you know. And it's kind of like it's like if you care about that, then heat, if you live in a cold climate, heat is probably 75% of your carbon footprint. You're, the average adult American carbon footprint is 30 tons per year. And uh, uh, if you switch from, if you're in Montana and you switch from electric heat to a rocket mass heater, that's 29 tons. That should be your primary focus. And it's like, so I, here's the thing about carbon in the atmosphere. You can't fucking see it. It's, <laughs> it's like you go, look, there it goes. I just got it under the wood. Did you see it? There. It's right there. It's, it's going to eat the children. So it's, you don't have that. But you know what? I, there's a lot of guys studying it and stuff, and I think that they're probably right. But I don't know. And and the other thing is, is it's in many ways not my game. I don't – I kind of don't care. But I can't tell you last summer was the hottest we ever had here. It was freaky. But uh, the thing that the, – the, Carbon footprint. How did I get drug into this stupid carbon footprint thing? But except for the fact that all these people keep saying all this. And frankly, you know what, Jack? I think it's my opinion. I think that the people that are doing the most harm have hired 10,000 people to go onto the internet and say, don't, don't change the way you live. Keep buying things. If you, if you really are care about the environment, then what you need to do is A, keep buying our stuff and B, go over to the room we made for complaining and complain over there so we can ignore you properly. Stop convincing people to get a rocket mass heater. Don't do that. That's just wrong. And we're going to, here, I've hired a hundred new people to go out and say rocket mass heaters are stupid. Okay. <laughs> now we make a lot of money selling you food. So how about that vegan thing? Huh? That's got to be good. Don't go garden. No, don't do that. No. Look, we hired a thousand new people to tell you gardening is stupid. Okay. 
That's my opinion. That's my opinion. I think that the, that the Internet is full of people being paid to tell us to not garden, to not do a rocket mass heater, etc. And it's like, but when you talk about carbon footprint, if you really do care about that, and I, and I think that there's people that, that anti-care, <laughs> and there's people that care, and then there's only a handful of people like me that don't really care. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, uh, I, I do something real. Do, do something that really makes a difference. Stop with the damn light bulb crap. I told right, you guys yeah. the light bulbs were coming. I told you the light bulbs were coming. He can't, he can't get away from the light bulbs. It was his first <sighs> Kickstarter and it is, it's, it's, it's his thing in the ground and it worked and it's back to the light bulbs. And I remember the famous words once uttered on TSP. Instead of worrying about the light bulb, when you leave the room, turn off the fucking light. Yeah. Right? Like, and I think a lot of things are that cut and dry simple. Like when pe- if, if people bring up the whole thing with me, it's like, well, how many trees have you planted? None? Okay, fuck off, right? You know, and, and I, you know, I said we don't really do Hugo culture in the classic sense here, but we have Hugo mounts here, and I've helped people build them all over the place where they make more sense logistically, right? So how much carbon have you put into the core of a mound to grow food with? None? Then fuck off, right? Like, so how are you using animals in some sort of rotational grazing system? Grazing system? Like, I can't do cattle here, but I do the same thing with ducks, and I manage them in a paddock based grazing do you do that no then fuck off right so it's like it's just this this idea that the way a person believes and this is why i call it a religion the the hallmark of a religion is what you pledge and say and think is actually far more important than the things that you do right works alone will not save you type of thinking and i'm not worried about saving people i'm worried about saving everything and that's only going to be done through work And, you know, some of the people that have made big impacts on me are people like Alan Savory. And when I see Alan Savory show me, well, here's pasture that is untouched because it's on government protected land. And here's pasture being conventionally grazed. And here's a fence. Tell me which side is which. And I go, I don't know. Right. And he's like, but if you do this right, here's what it looks like. Okay, I'm done. I don't have anything else to say. I have no arguments to make. I've just seen a formula that works, and that's all I care about. What works? And that makes me a dick. And that's okay. I'm fine. I actually branded myself a jerk, so dick's not that far off from jerk. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I, I think, and if you forgive me for a moment, I'm going to go into a space that's probably very uncomfortable. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? And that is that, um, I believe that our function on this planet, and I'm going to, and, and and I know that a lot of people would hate it if I used the word God, so I'm going to skip that. I believe our function on this planet is to be gardeners. And I and I think that if you have land and it's not being loved, it isn't as happy as land that is being loved by a gardener. And when I say gardener, I'm thinking a permaculture gardener. I'm thinking Alan Savory's work. Uh, ben Falk has some amazing stuff that he has said about his property uh, about like uh, when he brought sheep on for the first time, it did more to build soil on his property than the previous seven years of, of work. And yep. um, so and I've I mean, been there and I've seen it and it's, it's right there. You can go look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I want to, I, I want to do exactly what you did. I want to send out love for Toby Hemingway 
love for Mark Shepard, uh, Ben Falk, Jeff Lawton, all these people that have done so much work and, and exactly what you're saying that the armchair quarterback people, wow, they can spray. I mean, I kind of feel like part of our job, my job and your job is to help those people move from where they are into something more productive, something to health and just look out after their own damn selves, you know, instead of being a perpetual leech. You mean like, the, the only ethical decision would be to take responsibility for yourself and that of your children <laughs> like that, like, like crazy talk, you know, I, I you know, I, I agree with helping. I'll help anybody once the hand goes up for help. Right. But until the hand goes up for help, you stay down there. I, I don't have time. I don't have time to breathe for people. I damn sure don't have a t- the time to dig for people. I barely have enough time to dig for myself. So, yeah, and I, I, we always say, like, we're here to be gardeners. I actually completely resonate with that. I've been saying this for years, and it was Toby that got this into my head. We are a horticultural species. The human being is naturally horticultural because we evolved to be so. Because when you walk through the woods and you see ripe berries – even if you've never seen that berry before, you, if you're smart, you're like, well, I don't know what that is. I'm not going to eat it. But you see it like, okay, that's a red berry. I, I want to go look at this. I want is what is this thing? And if it turns out it doesn't kill you when you eat it, it tastes good. It's very natural to think, well, having a human brain, there's probably seeds in here. And if I bury some of them, more will grow. And so somewhere along the lines, we lost horticulture and we went into field culture, agriculture. Right. And so we started culturing fields instead of culturing plants. And then, you know, if you if you look at like Toby's work before he passed on with liberation permaculture, you know, he said like the the flatlanders and he wasn't really a versus thing, but it was just a different way of looking at how people live. The people that lived out on the on the flatlands and did agriculture, the deer is the enemy. Right. The deer is the enemy because the deer comes and takes your crop and the crop needs to be harvested and put to place so that we can save it for later. And we can make a grain bill and we can tax it and we can quantify it. But if you live in the hills and the deer comes to eat your garden, I don't have to raise cows now. Right. If the deer deer eats some lettuce, then I just grew a deer for 50 cents worth of lettuce seed. Because I had a guy when I first started my show, Paul, he emailed me, goes, I don't understand this gardening stuff. I shot seven deer over my garden last year, and I barely got any food out of it. I'm like, you have a deer garden. Right? You have a deer garden. You planted deer seeds. You have a deer garden. I, I, had, a, I had a peach tree in, in Arlington on my little property, and I called it the squirrel, the squirrel tree because the squirrels would come and eat the peaches like two days before they were ripe. Yeah. So I got a gamo. I got a gamo and it was a squirrel tree. I picked squirrels out of the tree, right? And then you put a little steak season along, you put them. And like, so the whole mentality of like the way, the way we evolved as a species in small hunter gatherer groups, right? Is that we saw all of this holistically. Yes, I want to grow these plants. Yes, animals will come and eat some of them. That's okay. I can always grow more. And some of the animals are good for eating. Some of the animals actually are beneficial to the entire system. Some of them are pests. But if I let the pest go, if I let the wildebeest come, then lions will show up and eat the wildebeest. But if I kill all the wildebeest, the lions will die, and a few wildebeest will come back, and then I'll have nothing but wildebeest, and they'll eat everything, right? Like in that mindset with insects. And, like, I think if you look at the history of humanity throughout the world, we evolved this way right up until – we decided to plow entire blocks of fields and everything went wrong. Like I've done research into ancient civilizations in North America. 
it's totally badass, dude. Like, I'm going way back before colonization and stuff, like 6,000 years prior to, to, to the first Europeans coming here. And these huge settlements, they were all on rivers. They had small gardens, small orchards, and their main source of protein was shellfish, which makes perfect sense. They don't run away. They're high nutrients, <laughs> right? This is before everybody screwed the rivers up so they were clean, and you picked them, and they grew back, right? And it, it was like societies thrived under this with no technology compared to what we have today. And today we're, we're like, we have people looking at like the 6X, like are we going to be part of this massive extinction? I don't think we are, but I ain't saying it's not possible. And I think it's that's where everything went wrong. We, we decided that we were going to be like locusts and infest the entire planet at any cost. And, and my goal with permaculture is to teach people we don't have to get rid of people. We just have to redistribute people a little bit. There's a, there's a, a limit to how many, look at it like chickens. How many chickens can you put on an acre? Right? No matter how good that acre is, there is a number that if you go over it, you destroy the land. And to think that like, we don't do the same thing is completely asinine in my view. I know we're off on a tangent, but so be it. No, no, you, you crossed onto like probably 47 different things that I want to <laughs> shout out about. And, uh, uh all right. <clears throat> But but I've got enough experience with recording podcasts to know to just cork it until you get to the point where you've said your yeah. thing. I, it's kind of it's difficult to record a podcast with somebody where they keep like you say ten seconds of something and then they start talking and you're like, ah, how does this work? I can't get this to work. <laughs> oh. uh, I, I, it's like it's it's always great to record something with somebody who's recorded podcasts before and you can yeah. they'll they have the patience to wait. All right. I, I want to say the number one thing I want to say out of about 47 different responses is I feel like when I'm gardening, when I get out there and I get my hands in the soil and I'm doing a little of this and doing a little of that or I'm harvesting something or whatever, there is something in me that isn't a food thing. It's not my stomach. There's something in my soul that's being fed. Like this is the coolest thing I have done and will ever do. That sort of, that kind of feeling. That's what makes me think that perhaps we are all supposed to be gardeners. Now, granted, there's somebody living in New York City who loves it there and is never going to plant a garden. And that's great. And it's like, and at the same time, I kind of feel like if that same person got a chance to go out and spend a day in a garden, that they might change their mind about living in New York City. I do think, though, that you're right. Along the lines of what? Exactly, Toby Hemingway was saying. Toby Hemingway is is saying he, he advocates for horticulture instead of agriculture, and and I have to say I agree with that. I I there was some kind of thing on Reddit about what a what a fucker Paul Wheaton is uh, because his place isn't a, a proper farm, and it's like I'm not <laughs> I'm not trying to make a farm. I'm no. trying to make permaculture gardens. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I, I'm gardening gardeners. And, and what I want to do is I want to have a dozen or two dozen gardeners, each with a garden. And, and that's, that's like the opposite of farming. Because in farming, you're like, I'm going to make everything flat so the tractor can get in. And it's like, Richard Perkins, what a wonderful man. What, what magnificent stuff he's doing. I love to watch his videos. I love to watch everything that he does. But he's doing his his stuff about uh, food is all flat. 
And it's like, of course, I'm, I'm a bit of a bigot for Hugel culture and I want, I want to add Hugel culture everywhere, much like how Jeff wants to add swales everywhere. And, uh, I, I think, uh, one of my, one of my favorite podcasts that I recorded over on my podcast is with Jeff, where first we recorded a podcast where Jeff felt like swales are good everywhere. And I said, well, up here in Montana, I think, Hugel culture is better than swales, and I gave all the reasons. And in fact, I know you know the reasons because you once wrote an article telling people, stop building your Hugel culture on contour. And it's like, exactly, exactly. I said, don't do it and put a swale behind it because it's going to go downhill. You're going <laughs> to, and I know it happened. Mark Shepard told me about where it happened. They built one at a church. Because, you know, like, hey, we can do permaculture here. Somebody talked to the pastor and they, they built, and it wasn't that big, but it was big enough. And they took the dirt out of the swale and they made the giant, they brought branches in from everywhere and giant rain came and the swale filled up and the hugo culture mound floated like a ship. And it, they, Mark said, they said it looked like slow motion, like it was barely moving. <laughs> like it really couldn't do much damage until it hit another building. Force times mass, force times accelerate, mass times acceleration equals force, right? Yeah. The whole wall of the building just gone. The Hugo mound went inside the other building and massive amounts of mud and water went into the building. And when he told me that story, I'm like, I have to say something about this. And of course I'm a dumbass. I don't know what I'm talking about because somebody builds a footpath swale and puts a, a one foot high berm in front of it with some wood in it. And it worked like we're not. It's a funny thing to me. There's so much of this disconnect. <laughs> and no matter how how much you describe, how much detail you use, all the person hears is he's saying something I don't like. Yeah. Right? So then they read the he's first and last sentences are lucky. And it and then they tell you all the they give you all these reasons you don't know what you're talking about. And I'll actually read that. I'll read criticism. It might be constructive. I might learn something. And I'm like, but none of this has anything to do with what I said. Like he told are, you what to think, and you yeah. were not obedient. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, you have activated or else mode. Or else so, mode. Yeah, yeah. So, so you must you you must be obedient, Jack. Obey me. Yeah, yeah. Say only that. And and you know what? I think a big part of my work at permies.com with the forums has yeah. been to 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 reiterate the phrase over and over and over again. There are many schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella because that kind of mentality that you're talking about right now, yeah. that's, that seems to be so prevalent in permaculture. There is only one permaculture and that's the one that I do. And yeah. yeah, that's, that's, some, con that's con confusing technique and tactic with discipline. So permaculture is a design science. It's a discipline as a whole. All yeah. these things we're talking about are tactics. So you could even be in a great climate to do hugel culture. Great climate for it. Great soils. Everything's perfect. But you're Greg Judy and you want to run sheep. Why the hell would you make a permaculture mound? You, all you want is sheep. And 90% of your land you don't own. So if I'm putting all this infrastructure on somebody else's land, I'm putting all this capital into somebody else's property. So instead, what he doing? He's building freaking, you know, pasture soils by the foot per decade. He doesn't need to do hugel culture because he doesn't want to. He has no interest in it. He has a product. It's lamb meat. That's his product. And at the same time, he's improving every square foot of the land that he's on. 
So if you're going to do hookah culture, again, I know it's your thing, but there's a certain way you maintain a hookah culture mound. What if I don't have time? What if I don't want to do that? There's other techniques that I can use that, that get me what I want. And that's, it's like telling somebody you got to go, when you buy a car, you need to go to Ford and you need to buy an F-150 and it needs to be red. Or you're fucking stupid, right? Like that's literally what these people. And we should probably stop yes. talking about it because yes. it doesn't give anybody any solutions. <laughs> Absolutely true. And um, and great it's just students. two frustrated men that have been doing this shit for well over a decade each venting. That's what this is, folks. Great, uh, Greg Judy doing such amazing work, such amazing work. And of course, what I advocate is what I call gertitude. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that at all. There's the, wait, there's your book. That's your book, Paul. That's gertitude. your final. That's the thing you have to work on that when you're gone, you leave behind. This Memoirs of a Hoogle Mount. You need to write that shit down right now. Um, Hex Futures gave you that. That's that's hey, that's that's your final I I actually have a rough draft. I, I, I have I wrote a Hoogle Culture book. It's in rough draft form. It's out at Permies right now. I think I gave away the draft as part of a perk with some Kickstarter in the past. And so a bunch of people have my draft Hoogle Culture book. But the thing I re- the thing I advocate for as a destination is what I call a gertitude, and it came from a story uh, I I wrote. Uh, it's called "Are There Already Millions of Permaculture Millionaires?" And I basically spell out this story where there's Ferd and Gert, <clears throat> and Ferd has a day job. He has a worky job, and he's earning some money and he's putting some away. But um, really, what he does is he spends his weekends trying to anesthetize himself from this grueling week that he had doing something that maybe he didn't love as much as he originally thought he would. And then we have the story of Gert and Gert has realized the permaculture dream. So Gert has a few acres, a humble home, massive gardens and uh, uh, her gardens put out more food than she can eat. And so she's uh, uh, living, living the permaculture dream uh, she doesn't do much with her gardens except for harvest, and uh, it's it's just you know she phones it in and she gets plenty. So um, basically, Gert gets a few thousand dollars a year from a little of this and that. People buying some excess crop, or uh, her helping with somebody as uh, as the whim strikes her, or whatever. Um, but she doesn't need much. She already um, uh, uh, owns the land, and and she has a big food source. So her expenses are like trivial. And, uh, and then, then I propose the idea, like, suppose I give Gert a million dollars. Now what does she do? And she does the exact same thing. She does nothing different. This is her, her ultimate retirement plan. She's already there. So I therefore claim. That if it, if that is true, that I give her a million dollars and she changes nothing in her life, it's all exactly the same as if she didn't have a million dollars. Is it fair to call Gert a permaculture millionaire? So I advocate for this destination to have a few acres, a humble home, massive garden, and then it's all paid for. You got your food coming in. So, which is contrary to what Greg Judy's doing. Although he's lovely and his work he's doing is magnificent. And he's going to, of course, go for a direction that's different than what I'm advocating for. But, but maybe somebody would have a few acres and they might have a few sheep or maybe they don't, but they're not going to have 300 head. 
they're going to have like maybe two or three. And they might have a few chickens and they might have a little of this and a little of that. But mostly they don't, they don't really stress themselves about it. They don't really think about it. They don't really do much. It's an easier, it's, it's kind of like a retirement package come early. Gertitude. Cause it's Gert. It was that story that I wrote Gertitude. so many years ago and it had, it happened to be Gert. And so then it's like now it seems like we talk about Gertitude every day now. Is like per, the pursuit of being girt. Yeah, we we we've talked about that for years. We've we've actually called it homesteading as a retirement plan, okay. right? And so it, it really is. And there is so many ways to do this. And it's actually easier now than it was even ten years ago. Like I know people they 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 move on their place, they they permaculture it up, uh, and they a lot of their revenue comes from things that are not directly permaculture related. They'll put a few tiny houses in. They rent them through Airbnb or HipCamp. There's an income stream, and but there but then they use that money to develop the property, and they end up pushing their living expenses to almost nothing. And then some people do come to the you know the HipCamp or the Airbnb because they want to see the permaculture. Some people just want a place to stay that's nice and quiet and private. And and there's room for both there. And there's all these ways of monetizing a property. Whether it's direct monetization, I'm I'm renting you a tiny home, or it's indirect monetization of, well, since $500 worth of food a month comes out off my property, that's $500. That's what you're talking about. I don't spend that $500. That's 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 $6,000 a year, and it's more than six, right? Because I don't pay tax on it, so it's ten. It's ten thousand dollars a year, right? That's and that's just entrepreneur mind, right? Like I, you know, I, I worked out for instance. My buddy bought this badass supercar. And he got it for like 65 grand. It was like a hundred thousand dollar car, but he got it for like 65 grand because he was able to go in and write a check for it. But when he put it into his business and you worked it out, he paid less for his supercar than I paid for my wife's Subaru. Right. right? Because of the way he structured it and real cost. Right. So like you're talking about taking that business concept and bringing it down into a lifestyle concept to where if my property gives me what I need, then what I do spend, I spend for luxury, not for need. Where most people, the majority of their spend is either waste or it's need. And I think there's a difference between luxury and waste. Luxury is I understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing. I'm doing it purely for the experience. Waste is I'm trying to make myself feel better right now because my life sucks. You know, and so the people like there's a lot of people that they have a lot of wasteful spending in their life, but they don't have, like, if you say, okay, so what happened to your money last year? They don't know. Where if you ask me, like, well, what was your last trip to Florida like? I could tell you from the time we left till we got back, all the wonderful things that happened on that trip. That's luxury, where waste is, it made me feel better today. I don't even remember it tomorrow. That's and I think that if you're doing the kind of thing you're talking about with a property, every day is an adventure. Every day is an adventure, you oh, know? yeah. I mean, every day is, hey, you know, like I just noticed two days ago, like the first black swallowtail butterflies. And I think back to like when I was in corporate America, I still liked black swallowtail butterflies, but I probably wouldn't have noticed the first ones. I probably wouldn't have seen them. I I, I probably wouldn't have said, you know what? Need to throw a little bit more fennel out this year because they like that stuff. (laughs) Right? Like just, you know, but they're eating your fennel. They eat the fronds. It grows back. It's okay. Yeah. Like they can have yeah. as much as they want, right? They they pollen they're out pollinating my trees right now. 
when the bees aren't as active as they will be later in the year, they deserve some fennel. It's fine. And I think your whole mindset shifts. Like, and again, I think it's back to Toby's liber, like you're talking about Toby's liberation permaculture. You're marketing it differently. You know, it's, it's, it's freedom. And that's why I think they hate it. When I say they, I mean the power apparatus. They hate this. This is terrible for them. Yeah. Right? I'm going to spend less money on drugs. I'm going to go to the doctor less. I'm going to spend less money on health insurance. I'm going to spend less money on energy, even though I'm just, they don't want me to spend less money on energy. They want to spend more money on energy. That'll fix it. Right. You know, I'm going to, I, I don't leave, I, like my goal in life is to make it all week without leaving my property. Like to not get in my truck or my car and go anywhere now. That's, that's like at the end of a week where I did that, I'm like, that was awesome. I didn't have to go anywhere. So, so what? I drive a sports car. I drive a badass sports car. It has 2,800 miles on it after almost three years. Right? Like, I mean, yeah. like, so what's the footprint of that if you want to go back into that world, right? Oh, it's, no. It's negligible. Your footprint. there's a guy in a, in a freaking Prius that goes to and from work every day. Your carbon footprint is less than a quarter of that of somebody, of an average Tesla owner. Probably. And, Probably. And you, I mean, like a person could own. It's not on purpose. It just is, it's, it's a byproduct of the life, right? That's exactly. That's exactly. And so it's like, and, and, and in my book, the better world book, I kind of go into this a bit about how what I want to advocate for is to have such a beautiful life at home <clears throat> that you could own a, a giant Hummer or, or how about, how about a full on semi truck? And that's how you go to town or a dump it. truck. Yeah. Dump truck, you call the Millennium Falcon, right? And then you just choose to leave it parked. You could go into town whenever you want. But it's like where I'm at is so much cooler. It's like I, I just if I go to town, I don't know what I'd do with myself. I don't know what's and it's like, hey, hey, here's a free ticket to Italy. You know, go check out all this stuff in Italy. Italy is a cool place. It's like, yeah, maybe I just this doesn't seem like it'd be as cool as just staying here and and then uh, you know checking out the butterflies and stuff or. Or whatever, like like for me, it's the, the our rhubarbs come up recently, and so are the crocuses, and it's like I'm out there every day looking at the new rhubarb and crocuses, and it's that time of year. And you're growing and, crocuses like for saffron? I uh, no, not for or saffron. Because they're cool. Because that because I like them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Okay. But the rhubarb, I'm totally going to eat that rhubarb. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're going to eat it pie. I know you. You're gonna yeah. Or a crisp. I'm cool with a crisp. But yeah, uh, if you check this out on the saffron. I found a new saff flower, way easier to grow than saffron crocuses. Okay. Produces awesome. Basically, the stamens make saffron. It's it. You can't tell the difference. So uh, I think one of the booths, because uh, when you've been here for a, a month as a boot, you get your own acre to play on. And, yeah. Uh, one of the booths planted a bunch of saffron crocuses. Um, you know, for for fun. Uh, but that, that's a, in fact, this, this, the person that did it, it's like, uh, the number one problem that we have is people falling in love. And so, um, two people came to a PDC and then they stayed after the PDC and, and then in time they fell in love. And, uh, uh, then she inherited like a 500 acre uh, ranch. She's now your neighbor somehow. Okay. Uh, she's down, she, just because she's in Texas, the okay. 500 acres in Texas. So the two of them got married and live in, in Texas. The other problem we have is people falling in love with Canadians. 
And, uh, and then they go back to be Canadians, you know, cause there's land in Canada. You and, are close uh, to Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but I think, I think Alan Booker was here and he was like doing the math and like four marriages have resulted from people coming here and falling in love and taking our, our boot camp people away. <laughs> those, those, those Canadian bastards or those Texan bastards taking, taking our people away. So, uh, but yeah, that, that person before she, uh, fell in love and inherited Texas or a piece of Texas, uh, then, uh, uh, yeah, she planted a bunch of, so I guess we could go up there now. Maybe there's a whole bunch of, uh, saffron crocuses all over her plot that, uh, you know, no one's, no one's, uh, adopted that plot. Hmm. Someone could join the boot camp and go up there and be hip deep. Hip deep's not the right word. <laughs> but you'll have you'll have a bunch of crocuses, maybe. Now, yeah. Here's the thing: you'll quickly find out why it's so bad, gone expensive. I think like two or three come out of each one if you get it at the exact right time. Ooh, ooh okay. I mean, it's it's there's a reason it's the most expensive spice on the planet or herb on the planet, whatever you want to call it. So oh, hey, look, somebody in the comments, they know their names. Yeah, Jennifer and Josiah. That's right. <laughs> is it the Josiah? Uh, it's, it's not, it's not your Josiah. It might be another whole, Josiah I know whole though. New Josiah. Yeah. So, um. Was it Josiah. a Josiah that was at the Sepulcher thing? No. Cause I met another Josiah there, not the one that was my intern, a different one. So, um, so you were at not the- a lot of Josiahs. That's a, not oh, a. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this is the guy, so we built this greenhouse here. And so he was the guy that did the roundwood timber framing for our truly passive greenhouse, which the, the numbers have come through. It's, it's doing remarkably well. Um, but, uh, what we've done is it's like, I keep seeing people doing greenhouses and saying, oh, it's passive. And it's kind of like, how could it be passive? You're running the whole thing off a giant fucking fan. What do you, do you not understand what passive means? And it's like, uh, so we've, we've, we designed this thing based upon uh, some of the work from, uh, Mike Ayler before he died. He had a greenhouse design. So out of the seven things that we did, the seven improvements we had, three of them were from Mike Ayler. And, uh, so what we've done is, is that, uh, we've got a, 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 a greenhouse that's a little bit embedded in the ground. And it's got kind of Wafati stuff around it. So that's one of the things is the Wafati stuff. And then the Mike Ayler trench underneath uh, the walking space in the greenhouse, uh, that's a Mike Ayler thing, but that's number two. And then uh, underneath the trench under the walking space, we have put two well casings into the ground 20 feet deep. And uh, uh, then – and that's from an old farmer's trick, actually. They would – like if they're going to have water outside for their animals and then it, it dips down to zero and the water yeah. freezes, they'll have like one of these well casing holes there and then they'll put the water over the well casing hole and it doesn't freeze in the wintertime unless it gets to probably 40 below or something. Um, so we put two well casings at the bottom, uh, in order for the, if the water, if the, if the temperature in the greenhouse ever drops below the temperature at the bottom of the wells, there'll be an air exchange. Okay, so, makes sense. So anyway, all these different things that we did, we did seven things, and um, throughout this, and and he finished building it probably in August or so, and um, 
so we measured, we put tracking thermometers all throughout the thing all winter long and we never got below freezing. And we had, we hit 12 below this winter. Um, and so, uh, but the other thing is that's really, really cool is that the tracking thermometers suggest that the temperature at the bottom of the wells, we call them thermal wells, uh, the bottom of the thermal wells has gradually gone up through the fall, a little bit through the winter. Now it's starting to kind of drop back down again, but still it's, it's, it's nowhere near what we started with. So I think we're going to see a cumulative effect of temperature. So you so built that, a battery. Yeah. Thermal battery, right? One of my, yes. one of my best friends says everything's a battery if you know how to use it. Everything is a battery. And so, in, in, a, in an aquatic system, your main water hole, whether it's a lake or a tank or whatever, is your water battery, right? Like, and if we yeah. push that water and it returns, we're recharging the battery. And how much we can pull before we return depends on how much is in the battery. So you're doing it with thermo instead of water or electricity. And so everything is a battery. That should be a permaculture principle. I have to totally rip David right. off and say it's a Jack permaculture principle. Everything's a battery. Ooh, yeah. I, I would love to see the list of Jack permaculture principles. You gotta listen to my, my, uh, my new series. There's tons of them in there. I, I, you sent me an email saying, I want you to watch this. So I watched it. And, and it's like, but you just sent me the first one. I saw That's that perfect. four have come out. Yeah, four. But, yeah. And, Five uh, is next week, and we're probably going to add one more. I'm probably going to do um, a six because I realized I didn't build – the first time I went through that series, I didn't build eight forms of capital into it. And I think that's one of the more brilliant things I've ever heard. I can't ever remember the name of the gentleman that came up with that. I always cite him when I do something on it, but I always have to look it up. Is it Jonathan something or uh, – well, you familiar Sepulter, with it? Sepulter has his principles. Yeah. And I think, I think every other principle is, I think he has eight and every other one is observe, but one of the other ones is profit. Like it just, just outright profit. And, uh, which I think is, is an important one. And, uh, and I think it's great that, that Sep has the courage to put that up because a lot of people believe, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff out there that I don't understand that, like a lot of people telling me that I'm thinking the wrong thoughts and, they're telling me what to think. Usually when they tell me what to think, there's something about capitalism in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I gotta say, I, I must have no idea what capitalism means. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the problem we have whenever we have that discussion is that depending on what side a person takes, they have a different definition. So we have two people with totally different definitions of a word discussing the word, but not the definition. So most people have a problem with capitalism would define capitalism as the ability to control the capital, which I actually have a problem with. Making money is not capitalism, but then they blur the line there, right? So the fact that the capital can be manipulated and controlled, and, for instance, they gave everybody stimulus checks the last three years, right? I'll be covering this on Friday in my show that won't be about permaculture. Um, basically, the inflation this year literally takes it all back, just the inflation. So if we want to talk about capitalism that way, and you want to find a guy that's going to derail against capitalism, all of a sudden you think Jack Spierko is some dyed-in-the-wool socialist, right? But if you want me to say that it's wrong to to obtain a yield, because that's all this form of capitalism is. There's different yields. There's a potato yield, right? There's a, there's a tree yield. And there's a monetary yield. So 
Holgram, one of his 12 principles, obtain a yield, right? So if I'm doing work and I'm not obtaining a yield, then I'm, I'm subject to entropy, right? I am not doing my best to hold off entropy as long as possible. We can't stop entropy, but we, what we do is we delay entropy. We can even use in permaculture design, intelligent permaculture design actually rebounds energetic entropy. So if we have a system, a swale-based system, and we have a system coming down multi-tiered, and at the end of it we put a little pond, and we have all this nutrient filter all the way down to that little pond at the end, and we grow reeds in that pond. And right at the end, before we've taken, we, P.A. Yeoman is proud. We've done everything we could with that water. We've done everything we could. Then. There's a little bit left. We suck it up in those reeds, and we cut it off, and we take it back up to the top, and we mulch the top. We've just rebounded a portion of that entropy. Money is the same thing. If you want me to do more, if you want me to produce more, if you want me to teach more, I got to be able to pay my bills and take care of my grandkids. right? I got to be able to feed my dog Projects. and sit down my feet. And if you don't like that, then there's all kinds of broke-ass motherfuckers that don't do anything you can go commiserate with. One of the projects we're going to do at the Permaculture Technology Jamboree this year seems to me like a very jacked project. And and that has to do with the podcast that you and I recorded years ago about how the forest is effectively a lake. And, okay. And so um, Sepp Holzer has this thing that he calls a – he calls it a spring terrace. Okay. And so uh, uh, basically what he does is he makes a terrace – and instead of the terrace being perfectly flat, it's more like like this, there. right? But it might go like 150 feet in either direction, which he'll call uh, meters maybe. Um, but anyway, uh, the thing is, is that now all this water coming this way comes to one point, And any water that was coming down here also ends up at this one point. And then, then you build up your organic matter in that soil. And, and basically what we made was a jack spring, right? I'm going to call, if I call it a jack spring, you're going to say, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> Cause I have, right? I mean, yeah. this is, yeah. this is, so you made this sponge and he gets 400 gallons a day from his, um, uh, spring, from his terrace. So this is dry land. Totally. Yeah. Oh, 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 this is something. It's been a long time since I've been on your show. So I gotta, I gotta share this thing because of course our lives are steered a bit by the haters, right? Um, sometimes we. Well, maybe yours is. <laughs> okay. Don't give two Fair shit. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But as, as, and, and as much as people have hated me or, um, uh, hated any of the permaculture greats we've already mentioned. Oh, I've deleted so much about Jeff Lawton off of permies. It's like, wow. Um, but nobody has been hated as much as Sepp Holzer. And, um, really? oh yeah. Oh, there's a woman in Austria who wrote a book about how much she hates Sepp Holzer. And, um, oh, I would love that. If somebody wrote a book, 20 reasons why Jack Spirico is a dick. I would, yeah. I would autograph it for people for money. <laughs> I monetize trolls. It's, it's, you have it right there on the screen, Paul. I had Adam Curry on. I told him I monetize trolls. He made a fucking t-shirt that says I monetize trolls, right? Like, oh, beautiful. But Sepp, really? Okay. Okay. All right. So here's, here's what happened. I mean, and hey, you saw Sepp's work. You were there. Yeah. And, and so. When you're doing earthworks, it kind of looks like a strip mining operation when you're in the middle of it. 
Of right? course it does. Yes. Yeah. I mean, duh, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? And so, <laughs> all right. So this gal over in Austria, she hires Sep to come and Sepify her place. So he comes over and he starts shaping things and building some ponds and whatnot. And she runs him off. It looks like a strip mining operation. Get the fuck off my land. I thought it was going to look like this lush jungle. And you made it look like a strip mining operation. So who's the fucking idiot in this scenario? That <laughs> woman. Okay. So she hates him so much now because he made this strip mining operation on her property when she was paying him to make a jungle. That she, I know this person now. I know what you're talking about. So, like, so no farm, no tours, nobody wants to see it. Like, yeah. Foo, so, bitch. So she writes a book about what a, what a horrible monster Sepp Holzer is. And so she just spews the hate. And so it sells pretty good. She makes, she makes some good coin. I know where this she is decides, going. Then she decides to take it the next step. <laughs> she, she sues him. Yeah. Okay. So let me now, guess the word counter sue is about to come up. Oh, but of course it's <laughs> fucking Seth Holzer. <laughs> so he rolls with it, lets her write the book, and it's kinda like you, like I'm monetizing this this yeah. hate. And so he just lets it go and then she sues him all it's like, All right, you asked for it, bitch. So the the, the they, they have their day in court. And so then the judge makes his decision. And, and in fact, when you met Sepp, it was like two weeks after the decision came out. Oh, okay. I and didn't know that. Did, did he seem to be in good spirits? Yeah. Well, until somebody <laughs> showed him a dried out tree. That was different. Oh, uh, I, I love the question that somebody brought up while he was there that was like building a hugel culture over a, a septic tank drain field. I, I love his answer. I give your question an F. Next question. Okay. <laughs> oh. To finish up the story, um, the judge, he says, okay, here's, here's the deal. I've decided. Here's how it's going. He turns to the woman and he says, uh, okay, first, you're going to take everything you got and you're going to give it to Sep. It's all his now. The book, your property, everything you own is now the property of Sep Holzer. Next, after that, you're going to go spend three years in the pokey. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Bitchy, so, man. Now, smack you okay. down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> man, don't fuck around. So, uh, anyway, so it turns out, I guess the judge decided she's full of shit. So, you fucking crazy and you were, you were naughty. So, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the next bit. So, of course, uh, you know about the Kramaterhof. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. where that's all the farm for those who don't know. All the beautiful video that we've seen over the years, it all comes from the Kramaterhof. It's just stunning. It's just all those ponds on that steep hillside. That's the Kramaterhof. Well, now Sepp has this new property. He calls it Holzerhof. Holzerhof. <laughs> It's her property. I bet it is. Yeah. That's what it is. And he lives there now. Oh, he, he moved. <laughs> That's where he, he moved he our gave place. The, he gave the Kramer off to his son, Yosef, and, and Sep moves to this new place. That's her old place. And of course, he totally sepifies it the right way. 
But one of the things that he invented while he is there, because of course the man is constantly inventing stuff. Yeah. Is, is this spring terrace. He call, that's what he calls it, the spring terrace. I'm sure his words are actually more German. That's all I've heard is spring terrace. So, um, 400 gallons a day, dry land. So, um, all, all I've holds her off. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? Uh, that is Bonnie awesome. Blue. Okay. Blue. You actually know it's it's Leanne. I, I've okay. I've known that handle forever, and she was actually here for like my first or second workshop, and I didn't is, know that that handle was that person. Is Leanne? Is it the same Leanne that is um my uh, producer of one of my movies? Maybe. I remember, I remember Leanne. Oh, remember Permaculture Voices one. Yes. Wasn't that, cause Leanne was there. That's why yeah. I'm saying that. But, um, uh, I loved that conference. I had so much fun. I had such a good time. And, and one of the pictures, uh, that, that you were, uh, uh, showing or looking through or whatever, uh, was, was a picture of you and I at Permaculture Voices One. And we kind of sat down. And there's like, I don't know, this huge crowd around the two of us. And, uh, I don't know. We just had a great time. I just loved that event. And that um, was great. It was too bad it wasn't really sustainable for Diego. I think part of it was doing it in the same place every year. Like I think events like that have to move. I think they have to move around, you know? Uh, debatable. I, I, I wish that, um, I, I wish that Diego had greater success with it. But, yeah, I do too. Um, I do too. I think, I think, uh, I think Diego got frustrated the second year he tried to do it when we, re- when he was getting close to the date and he hadn't sold very many tickets. Yeah. And it was freaking him out. Yeah. And, and he just yeah. didn't want to be freaked out like that anymore. Yeah. And, there were um, a lot of, there were a lot of takers involved in that second one. I, I won't go there. I actually, what I want to do now, I want to make sure that we get you a good opportunity to tell people about because we talked about what you're doing, but how they can come out to your place because we're heading up on two hours here and I'm going to need to wrap oh, up oof, for oof. biological reasons. Okay. <laughs> so um, uh, we've got the, the the boot program, and so uh, people can come out and be part of that. You know, for a week if they want. A lot of people have been doing what we call the Sepper program. And, uh, that's when you rent one of our structures for however long you want. And then you can pop into the boot camp however much or little as you want. But the big one, of course, that everybody wants is the events. And so the, uh, the PDC for scientists and engineers, that's going to be, um, a very intensive PDC. I think, uh, most of the people that attend PDCs, like if you're going to attend a regular PDC and you find yourself yawning or bored, then, um, this PDC, I think most people, if they attempted to attend this PDC, would find it's it's too intense. It's too much like drinking from the fire hose. Yeah. I think if you've listened to all of Jack's podcasts or even half of them, um, I think you'll do fine. Um, I think that if you've already taken, we've had like probably a quarter to a third of the people that come every year are uh, people who have taken Jeff Lawton's very good uh, online course, and uh, they want just something more and and so um uh we had a lot of those people but yeah we have had a lot of people that come from the science and engineering communities a lot of architects um uh a lot of people that are already very permaculture savvy coming 
Um, <clears throat> but Alan teaches a very intensive course. And, um, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, so there's that. Then the permaculture technology jamboree, uh, which is just so many different builds. I'm amazed that we even still have tickets left. Um, but we've got so many builds happening simultaneously. Uh, and this time we are going to have a couple of videographers there. Don't know if we're going to make a movie or not or a video or whatever. But even if we do, there's too much. There's too much happening simultaneously to, like, make a movie. Um, but maybe we will. But we are. We have two people who have said that they're going to come and video everything. So it's like, okay, it'll be videoed. But I don't – we've had events videoed before and nothing ever got made because nobody did the editing. And so uh, – or something went wrong with the video. It, that always happens. But <clears> – <throat> If nothing else, check out all the different things that are slated to be built this year. I think I did a really lousy job of remembering what all is going to be built, what all is going to be done. Um, uh, all I can remember is like whichever thing was the thing that we've been talking about the last two days or something like that. But um, the uh, the builders are awesome. The um, the the so when people are there. Are you going to do what I do? People camp. Is that kind of how like we have like uh, we have? I think we have like forty bunks. And people can rent a bunk if they okay. want with a, you know, but it's summertime, so they don't need a rocket mass heater. Yeah. But this, this last winter, we did our first ever winter event, which was the garden master course, which is like a master gardener course, but we are, we're not beholden to, um, you know, the cam ag people. Yeah. Like, like when you're, when you're, when you take a master gardener course, it comes with a leash. Yeah. Um, yeah. and in fact, you were, I, you were saying something earlier and it reminded me of my first time after I just got, became a master gardener and I went out and this, this guy's sister was dying of, of cancer. And, um, and he says, and this, this tree, I keep spraying it with diazinon every year and, uh, it keeps getting aphids every year. So I have to spray it with diazinon again. And I'm kind of thinking like this guy doesn't see the connection. Like he just got, he says, I'm sorry I'm late. I was visiting my sister in the hospital. She's dying of cancer. And I'm like, you don't, you don't see the connection here. Okay. Okay. Um, Bill Mollison, d- digging causes weeds and weeds cause digging, right? It's that, <laughs> it's, that cyclical thing. I'm going to close so, the door. I'm not gone. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So we did a garden master course, which I think is everything a master gardener course has to offer because it was taught by Helen Atta, who taught me master gardening. And she's magnificent and awesome, but it was in the winter, so everybody got to experience rocket mass heaters, for better or for worse. And uh, uh, it's and I think uh, we we learned a lot having our first ever winter event. But um, uh, the summer events we're gonna you know the PDJ followed by the skip event. Um, and I think that appreciate the skip event. You want to check in a skip. Skip is entirely free. Permies.com/skip tells you everything you need to know about skip. Although the book. We've, we we mashed it into a book. Uh, the Kickstarter for the book did really great, and uh, we're going to be receiving pallets of books here in about three weeks. And so um, uh, I think I think they'll probably be here just just before the BB20 event. That'll be kind of funny to get the skip books here. Just I've got oh right here's my pre-release copy of the book. I think it turned out really awesome. Um, <clears throat> that's my summer events. Jack, I'm sorry I went so long. I'm, no, I'm okay. a, a chatty Kathy. Now, we got a few things that people are asking us here. Let's see if we can hit a few, and then we do need to wrap. 
Um, yeah. Packrat says best strategies to cool a house in hot, humid Middle Tennessee hasn't been built yet, so they can. They, it's much easier when you haven't built a thing than when you already have, and you have to keep this brief. We got four or five here, like one minute general advice. I think I have a list of stuff at Permies. I think I have two different lists at Permies, but the best thing is to start planting some trees that could be really giant. Uh, it's amazing. Like, like if you ever see a truly giant tree and it's a hot day, go stand under that tree. And it's like, you'll just feel this fountain of cold air pouring onto you. It's the most powerful thing, but to be able to have like, um, to add tarpy things over your house, that'll cool your house a lot. Be surrounded by deciduous trees. That is powerfully cooling. Shade is your friend. Yeah, I agree. Like I've, I've seen double roof systems built too. So you yeah. have basically a roof and then you have a house roof. And you have a space in between. That gets done here and it's amazing how well it works in the worst housing thing you can have. To me, an old, and I mean old, single wide trailer without air conditioning, if you want to die, go in one of those. <laughs> it will cook you. You you will go to sleep and you will wake up and somebody can come in and eat you like a steak, right? And I, I when I was looking for a house here, we toured, toured several places where they said has second home or mother in laws and it was like some tore up old single wide. They just drug out in the field and, you know, used it as an office or whatever. And one of them had this, it was kind of shaped like a pole barn type roof over it. And they had a couple fans running in it. And it was August in Texas. And I, w- I wouldn't have wanted to stay in there. But it was reasonable. You know what I mean? Like you didn't feel like you were going to die when you were in there. So I agree with you on shade. Let's move on yeah. from there. I got two um, more. I got two more to, to do this. One okay, is go ahead. The Wafati. The Wafati. Like when we hit, uh, we had a day where it was 104 outside and it was 74 in the Wafati. And so it's like, um, there's that. The other thing is, is I put a video out last summer about how a rocket mass heater cools your home in the summer. And, and I could go on about that, but about a time. The next one. All right. Can you guys talk about refurbishing a garden bed? Just moved into a home with an existing garden bed. Not sure where to start. I don't know because I don't know what the person did before you got there, right? And it's conceivable that it may have been infested with God knows what, but I do believe nature cures all. And I would, you know, if you're going to try to do this, I would do it with with sheet mulching and compost. That was that would be where I would start. But if you have weird things when you grow, like to me, like if tomato plants come up and start rotting off the top or, you know, peppers or be, like I, first thing I would plant is beans. If beans look sick, you've got herbicide in your soil. Like beans are the canary in the coal mine for herbicide. If, if anybody ever says to me, like, I got straw and I don't know if I can use this straw as mulch, I'm not sure of the source. Take the straw, put it in a bucket, put it in a bucket. Hold on. Put it in a bucket. Plant some beans in a flower pot. Plant some plant some beans in a flower pot. You can say whatever you want, Paul. Shut up. Take the water from the, 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 the bucket with the straw in it. Water the beans. If there's herbicide on that straw, those beans will not grow healthy. They won't. If there's one speck of glyphosate in that straw, a legume will be the first thing that will tell you, that's sick, don't use it. So... I think you're on a good path there, Jack. Yeah. Uh, the problem isn't glyphosate. The problem is going to be aminopyrrolid, clopyrrolid, or picloride. Sure. But or the same whatever, thing. 
Same thing. A legume is going to tell you like that that you have that it's, problem. I mean, the difference is is a persistent herbicide yeah. versus a non-persistent herbicide. And so basically, I kind of feel like if you get, I mean, a big part of it is is uh, to go to a property, and if it's infested with weeds, that's a beautiful property. If you go to a property and there's just lots of grass, I'd I'd probably walk away from that property. But uh, when with, with the question that was presented, my first thought was, oh, I'm going to solve everything with hugel culture. Okay. <laughs> but but Jack's point is. Watch out for those persistent herbicides. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh yeah. Cause as a gardener, as somebody that's bonkers about gardening, if persistent herbicides are there, I gotta, I gotta you move. Gotta start over. I can't, yeah. You know, you and it's over. like, and you and might so be able to do some fungal remediation if you use the right, oh. but I mean, you're, you're at a, a high level of geoengineering at that point. Most of the time, a garden is not going to have that problem. But what we do have happen, a lot of times people blame herbicide for this. And it took me a long time to figure this out. The person buys a commercially produced compost. And I don't mean a good quality commercially produced compost. I mean something that's done by a municipality where they build compost piles that look like stripping mines. They're huge, right? And then they have bad growth. And then they say, well, there was herbicide in it. And there probably wasn't. Because of where they get this. What happens is that gets composted at such a high temperature. It creates a bacterial and fungal ratio of certain fungus and bacteria in that compost. And it takes a long time for that to rectify. And you put it on plants and you expect them to grow better and they grow worse. But what you'll, if you, if you have that problem, plant broccoli or kale or any, anything in that family. And if you plant that in it and it grows well and everything else grows like shit, there's the problem that you have. Because if it was an herbicide, it would affect those plants as well. And I can't remember, but there's a particular fungus that occurs in compost that is composted too high and in too large a quantity. And so that's an, that's more likely to, when you show up at somebody's garden, most people don't put herbicide in their garden. Like, that's dumb. So, But they will go down and buy compost from one of these facilities the compost at way too high a temperature that can be fixed, but it might take two seasons. You might be better off building a new garden. I I got a video on YouTube from years ago where I went to Bellingham, Washington, and, and I get invited to a lot of gardens and farms and stuff to you know make rude comments. <clears throat> and uh, the thing that was the overwhelming deal there is that all these people would go to their gardens and look. <clears throat> they were all struggling with, uh, they'd all bought commercial compost and the only thing that they could grow was grass and it's because it contained, um, persistent herbicides. Um, and so one woman, uh, had to pay $3,000 to basically have all that beautiful soil that she'd built up over 15 years to be just, she right just down. took out 18 inches and had it hauled to the dump. And then she went to a place where it was a weedy field and it got scooped up and brought back to her place. But her place still has persistent herbicides. It's just that she's diluted it now. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, but, but the thing is, is I, and, and so, and I'm going to get hate for this. And I'm sorry, Jack, I'm bringing hate to your show. Um, all commercial compost contains persistent herbicides. All Disagree. of it. Disagree all because, no, yeah. disagree because right. anything anybody sells is commercial. Anything That's anybody fair. sells is That's a commercial fair. product. So yep. if you want to say off the shelf, you're probably right. But to say that all 
All commercial compost, all it. compost sold by any party to another party has persistent herbicides is demonstrably false, and I can prove it to you. No, no, yeah, you can, <clears throat> which is great. Go, go for it. I love the idea of being able to prove. Now, of course, how do you prove it? If you're going to talk about amino pyrrolid, which is yeah. 1,000 times more difficult to test for than clopyrrolid, um, which is more difficult to test for than, say, um, picloram. Hold on. Well, you prove it by the, the entity doing the production. Where do they get their materials? So, the, the so there's, there's no ameliopyrrolid on, on the top of a tree. So if the, the primary source of kyber and nitrogen that a facility is using is trimmings off the top of trees instead of ag waste or See, sewage, right, if, then, if then you already gonna... know that it's it, – it, and if there is some – like. Somebody flicked a piece onto it or something, it's diluted enough that you don't need to worry about it. If you look at the operation that was in one of Lawton's videos up in Vermont, I can't remember the gentleman's name. He does all his composting with chickens. I guarantee you there's no persistent herbicides in his compost, and you can buy it, i.e. now it is commercial. So you're making a demonstrably false statement. Oh. Now, if you say if you go to the box store and you <laughs> buy something in a bag, you're probably right. Okay, I'm gonna. I need to. <clears throat> I need to shoot a hole in the thing that you just said. Okay. And that is that when people are gonna buy wood chips to use for something. Yep. I would have to say that if you're gonna travel that path, get your wood chips from a massive sawmill where all of their wood is coming from forest land. Do do not get wood chips from any urban um, uh, horticultural efforts. And the and the reason is is is, is I'm gonna say the opposite thing of what you just said. And there are many schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella. So we'll, we'll get to, to do this. But the thing is, is like a lot of times it'll be because the tree will take up the persistent herbicide. And because the tree is not a grass, it dies from it or it gets sick from it. Most of the time it just gets sick from it. But if there's enough of it, it will die from it. And then whoever it is that has this dead tree, they're going to call an arborist and say, get this dead tree out of here. It, it died for no reason, is what they'll say. It just <laughs> died. And so, but that persistent herbicide is in that tree. And so then when they go and they chip it and they bring it over to your garden, now you're putting persistent herbicide on your garden. And a lot of composting operations, it's basically, I mean, basically it's your nitrogens and your carbons. The carbons, the most common carbon to use is going to be wood chips. And so uh, but the thing is, is like the nitrogens are using a lot of times um, manures and and those contain the persistent herbicides as well. And so it's kind of like. I'm going to I'm going I'm going to make the statement and Jack is going to counter it. Yep. And that's cool. And, and you can do what you awesome. want with that information, guys and gals. Right. Exactly. Like, that's, that's totally Paul, cool. I, I disagree. Paul disagrees. That's OK. I We're allowed love, to disagree. I love that Jack disagrees. And so I'm going, and I, and so I support Jack and his disagreement of the thing I'm saying. All commercial compost contains. And, and I'll just add to it. I have, I have, I have seen wood chips put on every form of horticulture known to man from small amounts to large amounts, uh, across multiple climates from multiple sources. And I've never seen wood chips go onto ground and make plants grow poorly. I have never, I'm not saying it never happened. I'm saying I have never seen it ever. And I would also tell you, like, for instance, around here, where do the majority of wood chips come from? They don't come from some arborist cutting down somebody's tree in their, in their lollipop, you know, tree in their front yard. The vast majority come from the sides of roads, 
which has its own problems. But they're they're mostly from from Esplunda going through cutting down the tree branches so they don't get into the electrical wires and start fires and take down power, right? So they're not – no one fertilizes that. Now, maybe if you live in ag land and all the trees that grow on the side of the road are at the edge of cornfield or a beanfield, now you're in a different scenario here. But if you're talking about rural roads in Texas, unless you get out in ag country where they grow cotton or something, there is no persistent herbicides there because it would be a waste of money – it would be a waste of resources to spray that area. They don't do it. They just don't. So road salt, uh, oil, all that icky gick, maybe, but you're not going to have 2,4-D being sprayed there. I'm and we're not. I'm not worried about 2,4-D. I'm not worried yeah. about glyphosate. I'm worried about aminopyrin. And if you do get something sprayed, and if you do get something sprayed, that's what it's going to be because they're not worried about oh, yeah. what they kill. They're just going to. You're killing stuff on the side of the road. You don't want it to grow up through the street or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, let's move on because we got. I really do have the, a biological reason here. Uh, um, <laughs> where is the top permaculture dick list? <laughs> Apparently, it was at that shit show called Facebook. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So you're going to have to go through Facebook. K-Bonk says water is the best thermo transfer to mass. Maybe. It's a good one. I don't know if it's the best one. Yeah, I don't think it's a number Mr. one. Mr. Rocket Mass Heater might might disagree with that. So, so I, there are, it seems like a, like one question out of 10 that I'm asked about rocket mass heaters is can you yeah. use water for the mass? And the answer is yes, it would be pretty fucking expensive and it would be a big pain in the ass to do it. But, but yeah, you can. And there's a lot to be said for using water as your mass. And at the same time, it's like, uh, uh, you know, you better be a damn good welder. <laughs> No, I don't, think he's talk, he, I don't think he's talking about rocket mass heaters. Like he's just saying it's a good place to transfer thermo is, is with water. That water, water, water is awesome at holding temperature. Um, and, uh, you know, rocks and cob are almost as good. Yeah. Not, not as good, but almost as good. And, and rocks. And I think in many instances is more practical, right? Yeah. Yeah. Rocks don't leak. You know, <laughs> they don't, they don't rush shit either. Right. You know, they don't turn into steam and blow up. Well, oh, I guess you can do that, but it takes a lot of heat to do that. Right. There's a, there's a movie I made where the Supreme executive producer with bacon, cheese and sparkles is this guy called Jack Spierko. And in that movie, one of, one of the movies is called boom squish. Boom. And it, and it's all about uh, using a, a, a rocket you know, like from a rocket mass heater, but not yeah. as mass heater, but using it to heat water. And we yeah. spend one third of the movie trying to convince you, don't even try. Don't do it. Cause, cause you start <clears throat> doing pressurized water systems with wood to heat it. You're cruising for a bruising unless, unless you do it perfectly. Yeah. And it's like, chances are you're you not. <laughs> now, if you screw up a rocket mass heater, Nothing's gonna happen. If you, if you botch that, everybody's fine. You screw up a rocket water heater, then it's like, you're, you're probably gonna be, be turned into soup. And maybe everybody else in the house will be turned into soup. And, and your neighbors might be going to the hospital, but they might live. And it's like, <laughs> the power, the power of steam is immense. Yeah. It is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Don't mess with it. Yeah. Now, if you're going to do hot water with a rocket mass heater, 
then uh, definitely do it in an unpressurized system. But usually the question, like what's being asked here, is about um, uh, using it as the mass. And it's like for a tiny house, that's really a brilliant idea. Because then you, like, oh, I've decided to move my tiny house. You can just empty all the water out. You go to the next place. Hey, look, they have water here, too. They have a lot of water, like, everywhere. And you yeah. just right into the into the bed. And it's like you're, you're, you're up and running again. Yeah. It's like, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. It would thing. save weight. I get that on a train. Yeah, I, I just say sand's pretty cheap. And it comes out easy. Sand I, I comes agree. out easy. It's pretty cheap, and it doesn't explode. Sand uh, is difficult to do as a mass. Now, yeah. it, I do a pebble-style rocket mass heater. That's the kind I shoot for. Yeah. But then, uh, but then the air moves through it correctly. Sand tends to be insulative, uh, and yeah. so it's like it ends up not working as a mass very well. Okay. All right. So I don't know what the hell this means because I don't know who this person is. Michael's asking, Paul, do you ever get mistaken for Connor Crickmore? Of Never Sink Farm. I don't know who Connor Crickmore is. I don't know who that is either. So then the answer is no, you don't, because if you <clears> did, you would know who he was. Right? If somebody always came up to you and go, hey, dude, you look like Connor Crickmore, you'd be like, I need to find out who that dude is. And you don't, so the answer is no. All right, everybody. I, go ahead, Paul. I've been, I've been compared to two movie stars. Um, one of them is that uh, Jeff Goldblum. I, I don't see the resemblance there, but uh, I don't some either. Do. But the other one that I think is really funny is uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but he does the uh, Evil Dead series. Uh, I can't no, remember what that actor's never name seen is. It. I think he's funny though. I like that guy. I like Jeff Goldblum too, though. I like so, Jeff Goldblum. You're just not yeah. him. <clears throat> I just don't think I am. Yeah, I don't see no, it. You're too way too emotional to be Jeff Goldblum. Jo- Jeff Goldblum's like I'm, I'm angry. I'm 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 really angry. I'm I'm very very angry. I'm happy. No. I'm very, very happy. I'm very. My favorite line by Jeff. Go- You're gonna fly, right? I'm doing. My- I'm doing Jeff Goldblum speech. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite line by Jeff Goldblum of all time, and we'll wrap up here. Life uh, finds a way. Okay. From Jurassic okay. Park. That was from like the same, one- the same series. Is, yes. is he says he says, "Oh, right now it's ooh ah." <laughs> Later, yeah. there's. Running, screaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, I've had a blast. Please let everybody know again how they can find all your stuff. Permies.com. Uh, we have a, a brand new uh, website now for all the events. Wheaton-Labs.com. We've got all the stuff about the boot camp there and our events and everything we're planning to do here. The separate program. All that stuff is, is out there, but permies.com is the core of all your free everything. I think for everything I have to sell, I have a thousand times more free things. Uh, most of the stuff I sell, I also offer the exact same thing for free. People just like it in the for sale format, I guess. Um, got it. We're brewing up a new Kickstarter. Hopefully it'll be out in like two or three weeks. Uh, we have video of the Rocket Mass Heater Jamboree that was here this last fall. Thanks, Jack. Very cool, man. Thank you for being with us today. We'll wrap up there, and and we got to have you back on again sometime. Neat. All right, folks. I do hope you enjoyed that interview. We had several people in the live chat say you should do that every month. I don't know if I have one of those in me every month, um, but it was definitely fun, and we do need to have Paul on more frequently than just as an expert council guest. Uh, I want to remind you here at the end of the show, I mentioned you can join the MSB to support us at the beginning. I'll mention here at the end, all you have to do to support this show, and it's really easy. If you're going to buy something online, 
go to tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Before you do, start your shopping there, and you'll help us out no matter what you buy. And you can see all the items I've reviewed. And I have an item of the day for you that's more of a sales alert. You can get a pair if you're a DeWalt user. If you're not a DeWalt user, this won't do you any good. But they have the DeWalt 5-amp-hour batteries on sale today for $100 off the regular price. The write-up is on the website. I'm a DeWalt guy. I love DeWalt. Check it out if you if you're a Dewalt and you've been you've been, like if you're a Dewalt person and you've been wanting to add some more batteries, this is a good time to do it. A hundred bucks off a set. They've gotten everything stupid expensive right now, so it's not that big a discount from what the price was a year and a half ago. But for what the price is right now on on, on batteries and all the stuff, it's a huge discount. So get them while you can, and remember, no matter what you buy, start at tspaz.com. You help us out, no matter what it is, even if it's not something we reviewed. And with that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out, or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.